here's what I got for us to talk about. WWDC. <laughs> the, the, live ta- the live talk show at WWDC. Mac OS, uh, or I- what's it called? Mac OS. Mac OS 10.12. I've lost uh, track. iOS 10. Watch OS 3. Uh, taking the headphone jack off the uh, iPhone. Uh, covering your laptop cameras with tape. Uh, podcast ads, the future of podcasting and mid-roll buying Stitcher. Uh, and then at the end, we can we can talk about cars and talk about the shitty shifter design that that led to uh, oh yeah the guy from Star Trek stuff. Oh, so short, short show. show, yeah. Uh, so let's get started. WWDC. We don't have to talk about the actual announcements, but nah, everyone's heard about those already. Uh, I, I want to talk about your show. All right, because you know you, I I have some to say about it and you probably won't be saying all this so i will say it because you won't so number one is you know first of all i greatly enjoyed it um you began the show by posing the question of like you know you had phil on last year how do you top that you know there's only so far you can go up the chain to top having phil on the show and you ended up having phil and craig on the show this year and i i put forth now this theory that that is the top. That is the best you can do for that show in that week. I agree with that. I think that's actually probably true. Um, because, and this is, I know that it, I think I successfully kept it secret. I, I, number one, I don't know what the people were whispering out in the audience. But yeah, I was guessing Tim, but I, I had no idea. Yeah, Tim, that was the by far the most common guess that like, and people were, and people were bugging me like the day, not bugging me. I shouldn't say that. Everybody who came up and said hi to me at WWC, I always enjoy it. And when sometimes I see people on Twitter who say, hey, I saw you somewhere and I thought, oh, I won't bother you. No, just come say hi. I like to say hi to people. It's great. It's one of my favorite parts of WWDC. Oh, yeah. And it, it was really weird for me in the early years because it, it does not come naturally to me. But I've learned. <laughs> I met you during that period. <laughs> I've learned over the years how to, how to, to make those things go pretty well. Pretty much what I did was the one year at South by Southwest I was hanging out. It was the year Merlin and I spoke together at South by. And I just <laughs> That's noticed when I met you. <laughs> that when people would come up to us, if whether they knew, you know, if they knew Merlin, Merlin is amazing. He's absolutely amazing when someone comes up and says, Hey, are you Merlin man? You know, he's obviously never met them. They're a fan. He's so good at it. And I just suddenly went into like, I'm just going to copy his moves <laughs> and just do what he does. Uh, uh, and it's gotten a lot better. So anyway, people would come up to you, they'd say, blah, blah, blah. But then they'd say, who's going to be on your show? And I would just say, I started saying to them, you don't really want me to tell you, right? I mean, you want to be surprised. I'm not yeah, and like, you. And, you know, I don't know what the listeners think, but like, you know, so you and I are friends. I didn't know either last year or this year. Like, you don't even tell your friends. Like, you don't, as far as I know, the only people you tell are like Amy and Paul who are working the event with you. Like, you don't tell anybody. <laughs> I didn't tell Paul. Amy did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Caleb Sexton knew uh, as of like three or four in the afternoon of the day, and I did tell Caleb that you know to prepare three lav mics, so he knew there would be two two guests. But no, I did not tell anybody because that's how you keep a secret. How do you keep a secret? It's easy. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, it is the it's it 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 sounds stupid, but it's most people don't do that. Amy tells me a great has a great story. I'm going to butcher this in some way, uh, but uh, when she was in law school, she had a criminal uh, defense course uh, that was taught by a former FBI agent, and he told them he said, "You want to know how to get away with a murder? It's actually very easy. Don't leave any evidence. Don't don't leave any evidence behind. Don't tell anyone what you did, and don't ever do it again." 
and you'll never you'll you'll you'll, you'll get away with it. And Useful information for law students. Most murderers do not get away with it because most murderers uh, either leave something behind or they, most commonly, they tell somebody. <laughs> very, very easy. I didn't murder anybody, but I did not tell anybody who was going to be on the show. And I agree with your assessment that that the duo of Phil and Craig is, I, I think, unbeatable. Tim would obvious. Tim Cook would be a bigger get. Johnny Ive would be a big get. But I don't think that the combination of my interviewing skills combined with their personalities I don't think would be as enjoyable. Well, especially with in this setting too, you know, you, like you you are there and you want to talk about what was just said in the keynote. And like we've seen interviews of Tim. Tim doesn't really stray from the talking points. He's very well prepared, very well controlled, and he says what he wants to say and nothing more. Um and what you really want everybody to see is and is and in the talk show cuz like the the live talk show is still your show. It's still the talk show. And, you know, the, the mood of it takes on what you set there. So it really, it's kind of like, you know, like you, like you say that this is the director's commentary for Daring Fireball. In a, you know, when you have these Apple execs on your, on your show, which I love that like now two years in, it just has become like, oh, this is just what you do now. Like it's last year, it was like, holy crap. This year, it's like, oh yeah, again. Okay. But when, when you have them on the show, it kind of becomes the director's commentary for WWDC. Because they, it, it is like mood wise. It's like the closest that any of us will ever get to like sitting down and having a beer with Apple executives. Mm. And so, like, and so, and and I think you know Phil and Craig not only have very good personalities that mesh well with that, but also like topic wise at WBDC, if there's any two Apple execs you can pick to ask questions to that are going to be interesting and relevant to developers after having heard that keynote that day. It's going to be those two because you have Phil, who now runs the entire app store policy wise. At least, you know, he runs the whole app store, and then he he he's also kind of like I don't know what his role is, you know, unofficially, but it seems like he is in many ways like uh, heavily involved or possibly the head of a lot of product decisions. Yeah, I've always said, uh, and I mean, just maybe I should have asked him. I have always had this on my list. <laughs> what of would things- you say you do here? Well, I have had that, and I've run out of time. I've, I've both years, you know, it's better that way. But I have more stuff to talk to them about than, um, than I have time to to ask them. And I tend to favor, hey, let's fill this up with questions from the keynote because I think it's uh, it's more relevant to now than forever. But I have ideas. I go into it with a couple of ideas for things to talk about, just in case the keynote doesn't really have a lot of stuff. But right. um, I've always said, from my perspective on the outside, the best way to understand Schiller's role at Apple would be to take the word marketing out of his name and that it title and that he's senior vice president of product. Because the marketing is in and of itself, it's part of the product. It's not a separate thing. It's not like the products are developed and then Schiller's group figures out how to advertise them or what pictures to take to put on the box. It's it's all of a piece. You know, like, like that's the type of marketing that gives, especially engineers who who are analytical, and they roll their eyes when they think about marketing. Bad marketing is when you start with a bad product, and somebody is told, you know, here's a, here's a kind of crappy product or a thing with <laughs> right. a bunch of problems. Figure out a way to sell it. Well, that's the marketer still has to do their job, and that's you know. But whereas if you have a good product, you can just let the product speak for yourself and figure out how do we let the product speak for itself. And I think that's ideally what you know at at their best. That's how Apple's marketing works. And it seems too like he is intimately familiar with all of their products. Oh, clearly, and and also, and you know, having Craig there too, like it's amazing because 
you know, you, you think of like, you know, what is an executive? And you, you think about like, what kind of person is it? What do they know? What kind of involvement do they have? And to have the kind of incredibly deep knowledge that these two executives have about what they apparently oversee with Bill, you know, and what, and what Craig does officially oversee, um, you know, like Craig was throwing out deep technical implementation details. And, and I know from talking to people in the company that that's genuine. Like Craig is yeah. really a genuine, like hardcore engineer and he's really, he really knows his stuff and he gets deeply involved in, in it and, and is, but at the same time is a really good, good leader. I mean, I, I don't think I've met anybody who has worked under Craig or anywhere near Craig and has a single bad thing to say about the experience of working with him. I mean, he, he like he seems incredibly good at his job and very well suited to that leadership role, but also like like Phil having this incredibly deep knowledge of the products and the decisions. And to have that there like this is why I think this is this is better than having Tim for your show because not only not only like I think you have you have like a you know better personality uh, mesh with these guys but also I think you know Tim doesn't take that kind of deep uh, knowledge of like the little details of how these things are engineered or product decisions like and because I think Tim kind of knows that he's not like a head of product the way Steve was and so he has delegated that to some of the other SVPs, you know, in different combinations. And I, honestly, I think it's a little bit vague as to what the combination is right now, and that might be a bit of a problem. But overall, you know, it's, it, you know, Tim is not really a product person, and Phil very clearly is. And it, it, honestly, I mean, from just my point of view, I am very happy you had those two people on. And I, I would say Phil and Craig are my favorite Apple executives. And I think the ones that most closely align with my priorities it seems yeah i think that's fair to say so i don't know what i'm screwed for next year <laughs> yeah well just have them on again or have molts that's it those are your choices i think eddie eddie q uh when he was on this show with craig was good and i think he would be good but his uh, personality wise uh but his domain isn't a good fit especially for the right. wwdc show if i had something where i did like a, a quarterly show or a twice a year show and like maybe if I did a live show after the September, you know, iPhone event or something like that, Eddie Q might be good then, but I feel like WWDC in particular when the news is supposed to and in late most years recently really is mostly about software. It's it's you know there's he, it, it wouldn't really make any sense to to have him on because it's not his his domain. Yeah. Also I would also say, like, uh, one of the greatest things we saw at, at the live talk show this year is that we on the outside got to see, in a very, very rare circumstance, we got to see two Apple SVPs interacting with each other. Hmm. And if you think about, like, what other chances do we ever have to see that? And, and from what I understand, like, I, again, talking to some people inside the company, like, even most people who work in the company rarely see two SVPs in the same room because usually you're presenting to at most one of them. You know, so like it, to see two execs who have clearly worked together for a very long time and know each other really well and clearly respect each other very much, who are also good in all these other ways, like it just it really brought a lot of amazing humanity and just insight into just who these people actually are and that's like this is something that you're not going to get in like a carefully scripted keynote or any kind of you know carefully planned event and this is why i love the show so much because like you get to do this and you, and you get to like reveal this to the world and and you do it in a way that like because it's a podcast like i, I love podcasting because like 
you know, if you write something on, on a blog or on a news site, like, that spreads all over the place really quickly if there's anything about it that's controversial or inflammatory or anything else. Believe me, I know that better than a lot of people. <laughs> and so, and that can often be, you know, prohibitive to encouraging people to continue writing. With a podcast, it seems like just because podcasts doesn't, they just don't really spread like wildfire the way text spreads. Like, you can like quote someone's post or re- or paraphrase someone's post, stick an inflammatory headline on it, and it just spreads like wildfire, Right podcast that just doesn't happen like i thought last year when you had phil on which you know lest anybody forget that was remarkable at the time uh i thought that was gonna be like literally like world news i thought (laughs) it was gonna be like reported like on cnn that like this happened and like everything that was said would have been scrutinized and and reported on just just as much as like an apple press release would have and Instead, there was like one Mac Rumors article about it. Like it was, it was like almost nothing. Like almost nothing happened. And then the same thing happened this year, where again, it's like now you have two Apple executives. Now you should have CNN and the New York Times reporting on it. <laughs> double, double the coverage. And like again, like you had one Mac Rumors article and like basically nothing else. Yeah, I I thought the same thing last year. Not necessarily that I was disappointed. I I was just I curious. And I think you know one measure of it would be like uh, tech meme. And it's like I write blog posts that get more attention on tech meme yeah. than than this. Um, well, and the good thing is that, like you know, like I found with, with my experience, like you know, I've I've been writing a lot less um, in part because of this problem of just like you know, like any slip up and it spreads like wildfire, right? Um, and in podcasting, that just doesn't happen. But also, like because of that effect, it, the podcasting kind of and, and because of just the conversational nature of it just being more casual. Um, podcasting is kind of like a safe space and you like you can say you can you can go on a podcast you can talk off script and you know and and answer questions that that were that you didn't get in advance or that were unplanned or whatever you can you can accept that that gig because it really isn't dangerous people give you the benefit of the doubt it doesn't really spread like wildfire if you you like screw something up in some kind of minor way it's a conversational context so it doesn't seem as official or as as like you know coded in stone and I feel like, you know, that's, again, that's something that Apple never gets in any kind of public way. Yeah. So, it, it, and for the listeners or, or the attendees of the live show, it, it's, it's almost like being led into like an exclusive club. Like, it, you know, it's like, it's a club of obscurity, basically. <laughs> like, you know, we get to be here and listen to this, you know, to, and get to know these people and get these great insights into things. But like, it's not a big problem for them, and they don't get in trouble for things they say. It's kind of amazing. Um, I was thinking about what you said before about how we don't get to see Apple's executives interact with each other in a personal way. And, right. and one evidence of proof of that, and I, again, I often bring up um, Scott Forstall. And I, I have met him, and I liked him you know, like backstage after a keynote. Um, and I think he did fantastic work for the company. And so, you know, I bring him up not to dump on him because I really think the guy did a great job. But famously, I mean, it was, it, you know, he did not get along well with the rest of the leadership team. I mean, the the, the press release announcing his, I forget what they called it, but, you know, <laughs> that he was no longer. <laughs> he was quit fired. Yeah. Well, that, well his, his promotion to, uh, what was it, to uh, uh, Tim Cook's assistant or whatever, special <laughs> whatever advisor. Whatever it was. Yeah. Special advisor. Um, <laughs> that it's, that, you know, the title of the press release was like, you know, something about it in, enabling collaboration or something like that you yep. know it, it was very clear and my sense since then but on stage you'd never know it 
like Schiller to forestall, you know, handing off in a keynote, you know, like, and here to tell you all about it is uh, Senior Vice President Scott Forstall, um, is exactly the same as his interaction with, uh, like, Federighi now, because they're pros. They're total pros. They're polished. And you'd never, from the, you know, outside, you'd never have any idea whether there was a difference. Whereas on stage, um, with those two, you could tell that they like each other, you know. That yeah, the totally. Razzed each other, especially Phil razzing uh, Federighi. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it went pretty well. You know, And you know me, I'm not going to sit here and say how good my show was, but. Yeah, it, I will, it though. It was good. really good. Uh, so we did. We did have. <laughs> I love audio. how uncomfortable this makes you. <laughs> it does. It really does. Uh, let's talk about the problems with the show. We had audio problems. We had this feedback at the beginning, um, and anybody who's watching the video, watch the video, uh, the recorded one on Vimeo, or listen to the podcast. You won't hear it. I don't know. I don't think Caleb had to clean that up. I don't think he had to remove it. I think that the audio, it like the mics didn't pick it up. Um, but what happened, and it wasn't Caleb's fault. It was uh, during this, and they definitely did a sound check. But Caleb let the house sound guy at Mezzanine, who was new, he wasn't the same guy as last year, talk him out of a, a I don't know what, I don't even know. I didn't want to know what the, what the details were. But <laughs> Caleb let the guy talk him out of something against Caleb's better judgment. And then the fix, five or ten minutes into the show, was exactly what Caleb wanted to do at the outset. See, it violates the number one rule of of sound equipment, which is get it working and then don't touch anything. Yeah, I'm not sure where that went wrong, but it, <laughs> it did get straightened out, and it, it wasn't too bad. It was just like, but it was it was just if anybody watched the video and I, I look a little bit like I'm looking around, <laughs> it was because of the the <laughs> the feedback. But you won't hear it when you watch on on the show. Um, the other thing I think that I wonder how it affects the immediate, holy shit, you know, these two guys are on Gruber's show, is that the show doesn't come out right away. Uh, this year, it didn't come out till Friday. So I feel like on my list for what what can I fix for next year is figure out who do I have to pay? What do I have to do to get the video out? Hopefully, like, 24 hours. Well, on the other hand, though, why? Like, if the show doesn't you know make the national reason, news the main and reason, they don't get in trouble for anything they say then that makes it easier to get them back. The main reason to turn to to get the turnaround quicker is just to make people who want to watch it happier. I don't That's think fair. it would have I don't think it would really make a big difference in terms of publicity. The main reason is that I know just from my tweets and the emails that people were like chomping at the bit to get it. And I would be too if there were two of me and one one who does the show and the other one who just listens to the show and really likes it, I would have been too if I couldn't get to the live show. You, you know what you should do? You should hire the uh, the Apple uh, WWDC video team because they get stuff out like the next morning. <laughs> I know that's amazing. They're they've really upped that. It's really incredible how quickly they get it out. Yeah, the live stream broke this year. Last year it stayed up, but this year it broke. I, I would suggest maybe doing an audio only live stream because it's. I mean, unless you go to like something like YouTube Live, which would also be a, probably an easier way to do it. But uh, audio is a lot easier to to scale up. And video. we did that. We did that two years ago when uh, you and your ATP pals were were the guests. Yep, on that's the show. how I know that <laughs> because I, we were streaming it off of my iPad in the back on Verizon, and true. it was fine. It's <laughs> <laughs> absolutely true. <laughs> I, the thing I love about that, I don't know if it helped you, like because then you wouldn't be nervous. It gave you something to do, but. Uh, or if it just made you even more nervous because instead of thinking about the show, you were fiddling with it. But the the backstory on that was 
that literally like right up until we opened the doors to let people in, you were back there like, and we weren't planning it. You were just like, well, why don't we live stream it? I can do it. And you just like took out your iPad and like we're plugging it into the board. Like, no, it was worse than that. You said, oh, by the way, we don't have a way to record this. So I was providing the only recording of it and also the live stream. <laughs> yeah, that was a poorly planned, <laughs> poorly planned show. That's pretty funny that we've gone from there to here in two years. It's it, it, I do keep pretty good notes about what to improve for the next year. No, I, I'd say I'd say you you now have a pretty good uh, you know you have the kinks worked out, and I would say just like repeat this and maybe change the way you stream the video, and that's about it. Yeah. Um. Seemed like people had a good time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was good. It's good. Good event. And uh, yeah. Again, I mean, you won't say it, but I will. It was great. And uh, you should definitely, you know, keep doing it if you can. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. Hopefully, uh, I thought it went well. Uh, how about I take a break right here and I thank our first sponsor. And our first sponsor this week is Wealthfront. Wealthfront is an automated investment service with over three billion dollars client assets under management. Uh, in plain English, they make it easy for anybody to get access to a sophisticated, diversified, long-term investment portfolio without high fees, and in fact, with very low fees, and uh, without high account minimums. Historically, you needed to invest at least a million bucks to get the attention of a quality financial advisor or wealth management professional, and then you have to pay at least 1% per year in management fees. Wealthfront is nothing like that. They're uh, completely free for accounts under $10,000. You can get started with just like a couple hundred bucks. And in fact, they say that's how most of their customers start. They they just put a couple hundred bucks in just to see how it works, sign up, look at the interface, you know, and then once they get to like it and say, okay, this is good, I trust this, then put in the quote unquote real money, which could be anything. Um, they charge an advisory fee of just 0.25% per year, and that's only on the assets above $10,000. And if you use this code, wealthfront.com slash the talk show, that goes to $15,000. And you get $5,000 free management for every friend you invite. So if you like send your code to uh, your brother-in-law and a couple other people, you can get you know, 10, 20, 25, however many extra $1,000 managed uh for free and then even then you only pay 0.25 percent above that going forward um they have all sorts of stuff it's it's a long-term investment thing this is like the total opposite of like day trading this is a place where you put money in for the long run uh and they have so many options so many different types of accounts i cannot possibly go over them in in the length of a podcast ad just go to their website and check them out uh, really smart way to invest your money for the long run, Wealthfront. And the URL is wealthfront.com slash the talk show. Uh, anything else on the live show? I feel nope. like that covers it. Um, anyway, I had a good time. I have not watched it. I can't bring myself to watch it yet. I, I watched last year's at some point, but I didn't watch this year's yet. So maybe I should have watched it before, before we started talking about it here. <laughs> I listened to it again. Um Mac OS. Here's my thing about Mac OS. I can't believe that they changed the name to Mac OS, but kept the 10.12 version numbering. Where? What is that 10 now? Why? It's just 10 forever? Well, you know, I, I think it's a lot like, like you know, like the, like the dumb Windows kernel version thing, where like 
you know, Windows 2000 was like NT 5.0, I think, and then XP was 5.1, and it stayed at 5 for a while. Like, it's like, like the, I, just the number just doesn't mean anything relative to the marketing name and, and the marketing sequence. Um, so I, I think that, you know, it just doesn't really matter. I, I'm kind of surprised, though, that they kept the California names, and I'm kind of surprised they didn't just call this Mac OS 12. Like, it seemed like even though people would have made fun of them, oh, you skipped 11, like, I think that would have made a lot more sense to just say, you know, all right, this is now Mac OS 12, and then next year, Mac OS 13 or whatever. But I guess those numbers don't scale very well. Nobody wants, like, Mac OS 17. I don't know. It, it, is, it does seem weird that they give... I think they could have done both, though. They could have called it Mac OS 12 Sierra. Yeah, I, maybe. I, that's, that's a lot of... I don't know why. Why tokens. does Mac o, Why does Mac OS get a code name and iOS doesn't? I don't get that. Well, and you know, maybe because of the of like the high numbering problem, like you know, once you get into like the teens, it kind of is like you know less cool sounding. Maybe they're going to transition iOS onto a code name system. Maybe they would unify the code. Maybe they would say, you know, this year we have iOS Sierra and macOS Sierra. I don't know. I and mean, there's a lot of things they could do there, but I do think like the numbers are really nice and clean and simple now because they're relatively low, but once you get into like you know the teens and stuff, it, it's it's less cool. Yeah. Um. Anything? Uh, Watch OS three. <laughs> I love. That. I love that. Like, that's all we can talk about about Mac OS the name. <laughs> well, have you used it yet? I actually have. No. The, I actually have it on a a MacBook Pro downstairs, and it's like, it's exactly the sort of thing I would like. I like to see Apple do, which is, it doesn't feel. You know, you could easily convince me that it wasn't even a new version of Mac OS X. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, look, that looks a little different. They've changed a little bit here and there. But it is such a minor refinement in terms of everything I'm used to. And then they've just added, you know, some nice new features. Yeah, and I'm happy with that, too. I mean, you know, like from a developer's point of view, I would love to see, like, some modernization of AppKit and possibly some kind of, like, cross-platform AppKit UI kit kind of hybrid uh, and you know, so I, so I basically, so I wouldn't have to learn AppKit, but <laughs> but that I you know I understand also why that's kind of a big job and probably not worth doing necessarily, or uh, maybe waiting question. until like it, like it, presumably in the future there's going to be some kind of rewrite or or refactoring of a lot of the frameworks to better optimize for Swift, uh, and you know beyond just renaming, like right now they basically like rename them when you're using them from Swift and that's about it, but like. There's there there's more that you could do there to make to really optimize these things for Swift. So maybe down the road they're planning on like a a bigger change to the frameworks and maybe they would unify them then. Because you know as you talk about it often, Apple's a very patient company, yeah. and when it comes to like long term technical decisions like this, they're willing to wait five ten years uh, to do what they need to do if they think it'll be better later to do it then. Um, so I, I think it would be interesting to see if they ever do tackle this problem or if they just kind of consider. You know, AppKit's the right tool for this job, and UIKit's the right tool for that job. Which there's there's some basis for that, um, not 100, percent but there's some basis for that. And maybe they just kind of consider the Mac to be kind of like a, a a completed platform. Like we don't need to do much on this anymore. I don't know. Yeah, sort of like the way I treat Markdown. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. I, I no joke. I mean, it's it's seriously like you know, it is what it is. You know, move on with the other stuff. Maybe I don't know. I think you're right though that if they do do it, they would it would probably coincide with a swiftification of frameworks. Right. Or, you know, if all these rumblings I keep hearing about there like being like a single unified OS coming down the road with new everything, you know, then, you know, for the car and God knows what else, you know, then if, if that is actually true and coming in the next five years, then that would be the time to do it. You know, yeah, but, I don't but know. That, I just, 
I don't give that rumor a lot of weight, honestly, because it's it seems really grand, and I don't know. It just seems to me like when I study it and think about it, it's like I'm trying to think about what to write about the the macOS beta. Um, I keep thinking about something Guy English, friend of the show Guy English, said to me um, uh, last week when I I was asking just friends. I didn't say who. I just said, hey, let's just say if I got to interview somebody interesting, what are some questions? Do you guys have any questions that you wish I would ask? And Guy had pointed out that um, when when Steve Jobs introduced the Mac OS 10 10.0 back in 2001, um, he framed it as saying, this is the operating system for the next 15 years. Well, that was 15 <laughs> years ago. Yep. Um, and I, I think it's almost, you know, he was trying to say this is the operating system for the, you know, the long term for Apple. This is something that Apple can really, so what, Apple was, what, they're 40 years old now, so they were a 25-year-old company then. Um, this is, you know, it was as far away from the original Mac as, as we are today. I think, if anything, in hindsight, Jobs clearly undersold the longevity of the platform. Because that's the thing I look at when I look at Mac OS 10.12, is that this doesn't feel like an operating system on its last legs. This feels like an operating system that is still in its prime and doing it's exactly what it wants to be and really doesn't need anything major. I mean, it could, and it's someday something like a, you know, your example about uh, doing a lot of UI kitification to AppKit or bringing UI kit to to Mac OS X in some way to sit there alongside AppKit or who knows, there, you know, major changes someday. But at the moment, it's really just fine and and does its job very well. And the way I put it a couple years ago, and it's funny too because I I I said something about like the next five years, but it was like five years ago. So I undersold it, you know, as much five years ago as jobs did 15 was that, that the heaviness of the Mac conceptually, that it's so, so, you know, you can have so many windows open and you can go so deep and you have all these options like services and control, you know, right clicking and getting these contextual menus and even the, just the existence of the menu bar. Um, that heaviness is what lets iOS remain so lightweight. That you couldn't have it like the iPad and make it as simple as it is uh, without having a platform to go with it that is as complicated as the Mac. I mean, the downside of that kind of of that logic, though, which I think is mostly sound, but the downside of that is like that kind of assumes that they will be both maintained over time and will both succeed over time. And I'm not sure that's a safe assumption to make. Hmm. I wonder if it doesn't also conversely tie into the 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 fact that there's some productivity tasks that just still aren't that great to do on an iPad. You know that it's it works both ways. That it's like it, it, they just haven't been they haven't felt forced to enable the iPad to be good at X because yeah, you could just use your MacBook for that. Well, but also like you know as they have added more productivity features to iOS and especially to the iPad, you're kind of seeing them basically try to address the same problems, like basically trying to make it closer to a Mac kind of environment. So now you have things like a basic form of windowing and multiple windows on screen. You, you know, you have these document pickers that are a simplified view of a file system that are still files, you know, like it, right. it, it, it they're, they're having to solve the same problems. And oftentimes the solutions they come up with are actually not substantially better than the solutions that we that like the pc and mac world figured out years ago um sometimes they are but it, it seems like 
they're both kind of aiming for the same thing where they try to make Mac OS easier to use uh, and more iOS-like in, in ways. At the same time, they're trying to make iOS more productive and, and more suited for pro use. And by doing that, they're kind of making iOS a little more Mac-like in these certain areas. And I'm not sure either effort is a huge success necessarily. I, I think the, the effort to, to proify iOS is probably more successful than the effort to iOSify the Mac. I think that if you think about it, I can't think of anything this year that really was iOSification of the Mac. I feel like maybe they're done with that, and like they've they've done enough of it that they wanted to, and now they're just letting the Mac be the Mac. I mean, maybe I'm overlooking a, a, a something, but I can't think of anything. No, I th- you might be right. I mean, it it maybe it does seem like they've they've kind of figured out that like the Mac doesn't need to be iOS that it can stand on its own. Like they're maybe they've, they've gained more confidence in it, you know, as, as being its own thing. Hmm. Yeah, I can't think of anything. I mean, there are features that are obviously in parallel with ios you know like the the fancy new messages animations and stuff like that um but that's not really iOSifying the mac that's just getting the same stuff at the same time yeah but you know ultimately in in the long haul i i think having ios be this juggernaut uh that is most of the market for apple uh, will it, it will hurt the mac it will cost the mac because you have situations like like messages apps are a great example of this where if you you know you can now have you know uh, until until iOS 10, iMessage worked basically the same way on all three platforms: iPad, iPhone, Mac. Um, it, it worked the same way; it had the same capabilities, roughly. With the new version of Messages, now you're going to have this this large amount of functionality, especially if the app thing takes off, which other Messages services have had apps that have taken off, so they probably will. Uh, and Apple's pretty good at apps and making apps take off, uh, as long as you aren't talking about the TV. So. By having by having this big app environment that's going to take off on iOS and having almost none of it available on the Mac and having no easy technical bridge there because the Mac is not UIKit and is not iOS and is not running all these same frameworks and does not have the same kind of extension system and binary support and everything else, I, I suspect that the Mac is going to have some trouble in the next few years You know, if this stuff takes off because it's going to feel even more like a second-class citizen than it does now. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, and that does tie in. This is a good, it's a good segue, I think, because it does tie into I, – I can't believe I almost forgot to bring this up – is uh, I have one major regret from the live show. There was one question from my list. There were, Like I said, there were a bunch that I didn't get to that were fine, that were just sort of like, hey, if we have time, I'll get to these, and if not. But there was one on that I had above the line of – definitely want to ask um that i didn't get to and it was on the tip of my tongue at one point but it didn't seem like the right moment and then after that it was like out of my mind and i i've forgotten it and the question was would have been for phil and it would have been more or less along the lines of um the mac pro hasn't been updated in over 900 days i think as of the show time it was 908 days and the mac mini hasn't been updated in over 600 days and why do you hate Pro pro customers, and but you know, insert audience laughter there. Um, but the true thing is, I know for a fact, talking to developer friends um, and and just reading email from from DF the Daring Fireball audience, which has uh, in addition to developers, I definitely have a lot of um, readers and listeners who are professionals in video and photography and other things where you they want 
a new Mac Pro. And they the concern is palpable that they worry that uh, Apple's uh, phenomenal success selling consumer products has left them disinterested in professional products. Yeah, and I think that concern is warranted based on a lot of the stuff that's happened over the last few years. Like a lot of, you know, I mean, first of all, like losing things like Aperture and then seeing like uh, even the Final Cut transition uh, to Final Cut. Now, is that one X or 10? <laughs> I honestly don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say 10. 10. I'm going to guess 10. 10. Um, that I know, you know, a lot of pros are still sore about that. Um, and I, from what I understand, that's mostly been kind of, you know, people now are, are okay with it. But like, you know, the software side, Apple has definitely backed away from the pro market in, in, to a large degree. The hardware side, I think it's been even more dramatic. And granted, a lot of pros get away just fine with iMacs. A lot of pros use the MacBook Pro, and they're mostly fine with that, too, although it's pretty pretty old. I, I think one of the problems we have now, and which ties into the, to the Thunderbolt display thing also, but one of the problems we have now is that for it seems like Apple has... You know, whoever is responsible for deciding these, like you know, these hardware generations and when to ship things and and what makes the cut and what gets pushed to the next release, it seems like their their sensibility for do we ship now with the new stuff we've accumulated so far, or do we wait and do a bigger update in X time with this th- with the stuff that's imminent that we're we're soon we'll if we wait now we'll be able to do a bigger update in six months that has X Y and Z. And it seems like their their sensibility for that is just a little bit off in recent years. That because like there are new components they could have used for the Mac Pro, and and you know the Mac Pro uses Xeon CPUs, Intel server line. Xeons don't get released that often. They get released, I think, roughly every eighteen months. There's like a new generation of Xeons that would be suitable to use in the Mac Pro. GPUs get released even more often than that. Yeah. Uh, and and for Apple to say. That this is a like you know they redesigned this entire machine to be in, entirely like GPU focused. That you can't even buy this with only one GPU anymore. You can only get it with two GPUs, and they're going to be server ish or workstation ish grade GPUs. There's some asterisks on that, but basically they're going to be workstation GPUs. And and you know this is the future of how we see pro computing is these heavy GPU operating machines. Well, the GPU world moves really quickly way faster than the cpu world ever did and it's still moving at that speed you can't say your vision for for pro computing is tons of gpu power and then not update the gpus that you're selling for three years like it seems like they they set on this course of we're gonna you know this is our vision of the future of computing and then they just didn't follow through at all and it to the point now where you know a year in it was kind of like yeah i wish the gpus were faster Two years in, it was like, uh, is everything okay? Three years in, people are looking for the exits and looking to switch to Windows for their pro needs. It, and that's a problem. It, it definitely is because, it, and I think that in an ideal world, well, maybe not ideal, because ideal, it would be updated very, you know, we'd see lots of updates. I would say in a, in a realistically ideal world, the Mac Pro could still be on a greater than one year cycle. I think, you know, it, it could, like, 18 months, though, is about the upper limit of right. some kind of update. And fortunately, know? that's about as often as, as Intel makes new Xeons. So all it, all Apple has to do is stop skipping generations. Because right now, they, like, in, in recent times at the Mac Pro, for maybe the last, I don't know, six, seven years, they've, they've released roughly every other Xeon generation. Like, they just kind of skip every other one. And I don't, I, you know, I'm sure there, maybe there's good reasons why, but I'm not aware of what those are. 
and it it appears from the outside like they just don't feel like it and that's not a good reason if that's the reason um and again like even if for some reason you have to keep the same cpus if this computer is really going to be a gpu focused machine release new gpus for it and by the way this is a pro machine make those gpus upgradable Hmm. because that's what pros who need a lot of gpus need they need upgradable powerful recent gpus right and And if that's not the focus of the machine then make you know make it cheaper by making a single gpu option and give more cpu options maybe redesign it so it can support two sockets again then you can have you can have then like you know double the amount of very high speed cores double the number of ram slots like it's like they they design this machine to accomplish a goal that they are seemingly unable or unwilling to actually fulfill (laughs) it's it's just funny because it's a striking design and obviously it wasn't designed as a second thought you know it was designed as let's make let's redefine what it means to make a kick-ass professional high performance desktop but then it's it was again it's almost like they figured well we're done (laughs) we came up with a new mac pro and now we're done let's work on the iphone 6s yeah, and it's just it's sad because it does seem like from the outside having you know having no answers from Apple on this, it does seem like they just don't care. And and the whole Mac lineup kind of looks like that right now, or at least the vast majority of it. And it's you know I know they do care, like I, I know that's not actually the case, but it sure looks bad. It does, and it definitely doesn't. And maybe it's not even entirely rational. I think people's professionals' concerns about Apple's long-term interest in this, it's just that if your personal livelihood is based on what you do at your computer, and that's probably true. It's certainly true for me and you, and it's true for a lot of people who listen, I think, to this show. It's it's reasonable to be concerned that the only company that makes the tools that you use may not be interested in serving you anymore. Right, because like that's like you know one thing pro users hate with very good reason is being forced to change the what they use to to their job, either their workflow, their hardware, their software, or whatever. They hate doing that because it sucks. Because like when you're using something to get your work done, you don't want to have to spend a bunch of time and money to change systems, to relearn something else, to update everything and and fix everything that breaks and deal with missing functionality for a while, or have to buy new hardware, buy new software, like. It, it it's very disruptive to pros to have their platform and their workflow messed with or be forced to change it. So when you're buying something for pro use, you want to be buying into a system that's going to be stable long term. You don't want to have to be learning an app now that is going to be discontinued next year. And oh, by the way, you have to also switch to Windows if you want to be competitive with your you know video encoding rig or whatever. Like nobody wants that, and it it you know it it kind of feels like this is going to be like a like a downward spiral where like Apple will keep really neglecting the pro hardware, which will then make people trust it less and they won't sell as many. And then Apple can justify discontinuing those or neglecting them further. Because then they can say, well, we just don't sell very many of these. So why should we pay attention to these? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I, I feel like it doesn't take a genius to analyze the situation where the Mac is the pro platform and iOS is the consumer platform. And, especially with the iPhone that's where the you know there's there's what uh, i don't know 20 fold 30 fold more of them sold per quarter um all around the world it's their expansion into all these other countries like uh India and especially China um so of course of course it it it's their you know most important priority 
of course, they're never going to be late on an iPhone. Or if they are, it's a catastrophe, not not as a result of, eh, we can wait. Uh, like, imagine if the iPhone didn't get updated for 900 days. You can't. Right, you can't right. I mean, literally, I know people make these jokes that, uh, you know, the stock's down 10%. Tim Cook should be fired. Or I shouldn't even say they make jokes. I know there's jackasses oh, who yeah, actually no, say They're that. serious. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it with no hyperbole, if Apple went got even close to that, if Apple went, you know, two years without an iPhone update, I, I think it would be reasonable for the the board to maybe call Tim Cook in and say it's time, you know, you're out. Yeah, like that would be that would be cause for serious concern. Right. It's like you can't even. You really, it's unfathomable. And, yeah. You know, so 900 days for the Mac Pro is, you know, it's not going to get anybody fired, but it certainly looks bad. And I can even see it with the Mac Mini, where the Mac Mini's never been updated quickly, and maybe that's not really a pro machine. Although I do know that there are some people who use it in pro sort of ways by like, you know, setting up like uh, build machines and stuff like that. Yeah, or like like servers for offices, or exactly. even web servers in some cases. Right. And it, I, you know, my friend Brian Stuckey, at, uh, formerly of Mac Mini Colo, and yeah. now at. Uh, uh, Mac Stadium is the new company that he Yeah, they bought with. them, right? Yeah. Uh yeah, well they like merged. Um and and he even I know he sent me like hey, please ask if you get any I don't know who you've got on the talk show, but if you get anybody good, can you please ask him about my poor Mac Mini? <laughs> um so there is a pro angle on on the Mac Mini. Yeah. Um, but also it's worth pointing out too, like the current generation Mac Mini and the current generation Mac Pro both do a lot less than their previous uh hardware designs yeah so like they've taken these products and not only have they made them you know in the case of the mac pro it's actually more expensive now because now you have to pay for two gpus so now it's more expensive and it has less flexibility and less upgrade ability and fewer and you know fewer configuration options and less less stuff you can put into it less maximum capacities in, in a lot of areas yeah. um and the mac mini too the mac mini used to have a quad core option and it was a really great way to get a decent amount of power in this little, you know, headless server. And occasionally, they go up for sale on, on the Apple Refurb store, and they are they just disappear in like a minute. <laughs> like there, are, there is still incredible demand for. I believe it was a 2012 era CPU in these roughly 2012 era Mac Minis because they happen to be quad core, and that's a lot more processing power in total in parallel than the current models dual core highest configuration yeah and, and a like, lot of what people want to do are these things that are paralyzable right especially in a server so like or you know even if you're using it at home like for like a media thing for your tv or if you're using it as a build server all those things use all the cores so like almost everything that like a pro would want to do with it is parallel and and you know even for home users like at least make the option like so apple has these machines now where they're actually making them worse and in some cases, worse and more expensive over time, and updating them almost never. And then, so of course, sales are going to go down, which again, it's going to it's going to make that downward spiral start. Where now, then they won't be able to justify updating them, and it's gonna, just going to get worse. And I, I feel like you know, and, and we're going to get to this. I think if we ever get to the headphone jack, and I, you probably shouldn't let us get to that because I have a lot to say about that. Um, but. <laughs> We're definitely going to get that. It, it seems like Apple is so, somewhere in Apple. There's like this obsession with getting rid of things, getting rid of options, getting rid of ports, getting rid of hardware, getting rid of of something. You know, just getting rid of things. And it, I can see how you get that way. I've gotten that way before in my software development, where like it feels really good to get rid of stuff, and oftentimes there are benefits, but not always. It isn't always worth it. 
And sometimes the costs outweigh the benefits. And it seems like, you know, similar to how, like, I question the, the, the decision-making that has led to, like, oh, we'll just wait until thing in the near future to update this computer. I also question the judgment recently of, oh, we can just take this out, or we can just make this worse, or we can just make this more expensive, or whatever, and it'll be worth it in the end because we're moving forward. It's the future. The vision of the future is things can do less and cost more. Like, no, that's – but that's, that, that's actually what we're seeing in some of these products, and it, that does concern me. Um, I, I, I think so too. It would have been interesting to ask, so I regret not asking that question. I don't know how we could have gone that long on stage with it, but probably not. Yeah, I would have been interested. Maybe better that you didn't. <laughs> um, there were, prior to WWDC, up until a couple of weeks, there were a lot of expectations that there might be hardware announcements, and if there would, you know, Mac. People were thinking maybe new MacBooks, um, maybe a new Mac Pro. I, I, I don't really think that new Mac Pro ever really heated up too much, but there were whispers that um, that the, cons- the supply constraint of Thunderbolt displays was going down. And it's just one of these like catch twenty two chicken and the egg problems, right? Like which comes first? Like, well, if they're gonna, you know, they need a, a desperately need a Retina standalone display. Like at this point, once you're used to Retina on all of your devices, from the watch to your phone to your iPad, um, and the iMac has this beautiful, beautiful display, it just sticks out like a sore thumb that their best display for a Mac Pro is not Retina. And it's like, for me at this point, it's like, I, I almost can't believe how, I can't believe I lived my whole life before Retina displays. <laughs> They're so fuzzy. Um, and so it sticks out, but if they make it, it, you know, what drives it, you know, does, can it, you know, if they came out with a 5k Retina display, I think that the existing Mac Pro wouldn't be able to drive it. Well, there's like, again, there's like a whole bunch of asterisks on that. Like it could with like dual cables maybe. And with certain hacks, like basically like, the the way that displays are driven over Thunderbolt ports uh, is way more complicated. Like the more as as time goes on, I learn even more about it, and I learn how little I know about it. Yeah. And like basically, there's an asterisk on everything, and it's not as simple as well. Thunderbolt doesn't have enough bandwidth for this because it isn't technically Thunderbolt; it's Display Port that runs that. And it's like there's all these all these little asterisks, and like well, you can make a bridge chip that did this. You can use this hack over the cable to do this, and and it's basically a mess right now. And it will be much cleaner and simpler with Thunderbolt three. I remember when the when the original five K iMac came out, the first one, which is what I'm using right now. Me uh, too. Do, you have, do you have the new one or do you have the original one? I have the same one you do. Yeah, so I have the exact same one that you do. Um, and I was talking after that was announced, and I got to talk and had like a product briefing, and they explained to me like some of the product marketing people explained exactly how they're driving it inside. And it's just amazing. It's such a hack. I mean, not a ha- not like a bad hack, like a dirty hack, but it's, you know, it's just crazy. But it totally makes sense as to this. It's like the embodiment of why Apple likes to make an all-in-one product. Because all of that ugliness, they can just encapsulate it inside the thing and we'll just take care of it and we'll write our own. Um, I mean, they mentioned this on the event, the, the what do they call it? The... The custom, the TCON, the timing yes, controller, the timing yeah. controller, because it's like they have to have these. The, the reason they have a custom timing controller, I think, I think I have it in lay terms, but because they need like two cables to do it, they need this timing controller so that the the two signals coming in look like you're just getting one picture. Yeah, it's basically it. Yeah, it's two two pictures that are being combined in one at a you know Apple's very high frame rate, so that you don't notice anything. They needed to write a custom timing controller. Um, 
it just is it just perfectly embodies why Apple likes to make devices like the iMac rather than the Mac Pro with a standalone display. So exactly. I think what's going on, I think what's going on is that they're going to release a 5K cinema display and they're going to release new Mac Pros and they're going to release new MacBook Pros. Um but it's like the, it's like they can't release any of them until they're all ready, I think. Honestly, that's that's probably just like a choice that they want to release them all together. I mean, they probably could stagger them a little bit if if, if they really felt like it. But it, the fact is, it doesn't really matter. We don't really know. Uh, yeah, I guess they obviously could. For example, they could release new Mac Pros that are capable of right. driving this thing, and just say, just use your old crappy Dell monitor or whatever. Exactly. So that's you know probably sometime in the next six months we're probably getting all of these things. If I if I would hazard a guess, I'm guessing. Well, although the Mac Pro is a bit of a problem because. The, the uh, well, of course, it's always a bit of a problem. But the the type of Xeon it would use um, if it's being released this fall would most likely be the Broadwell Xeon. The Skylake Xeon is coming out sometime next year, and it's a really big improvement for the Xeon platform. Like, there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with that. So I'm kind of afraid that Apple's going to wait for that. And if they do, co- or if they don't wait, will Syracuse wait? <laughs> Yeah, well, he's always going to wait. <laughs> Syracuse's back is to the wall. If people who don't listen to ATP, and I bet the overlap here is like 90%. But, yeah, probably. But uh, the Mac OS Sierra doesn't officially run on John's. Uh, his, he's using like a 1998 uh, <laughs> Bondi, Bondi Blue Power Mac. Uh, doesn't, doesn't run on it. Uh, it's finally been dropped. So he, he, now he's in the conundrum where he's been waiting for all of these years, 20, 22 years or something like that to upgrade his Mac Pro. And um, now he either has to or he won't be able to run Mac OS Sierra on it. Or there, there's one of those like hack bootloader programs that will like modify Sierra to actually work. Because like, it actually yeah. does work. They just don't feel like supporting it, basically. So like you actually could install it through this like unofficially supported hack so, like, what do you think is more offensive to Syracuse? No, I think running that. the hack <laughs> or, or not running it or buying a new Mac Pro that he knows is going to be obsoleted soon. Right. Like, I, I th- this is a really tough position to put him in. Boy, it's almost like a perfect, uh, a perfect. <laughs> and it dilemma. has a new file system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's the only way that he could use it. Yeah. Right? Exactly. No, no, no. They're they are going to come. They are going to come out with the file system for El Capitan, right? I think so. No. No? <laughs> no. Why would they do <laughs> I thought that they were going to, so that no, you I could mean, like plug a disk into El Cap. But maybe by the time the file system actually ships, the uh, Sierra will be the old release. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's very funny, though. I mean, this really was like a masterful trolling of Syracuse this year. It really was. It really is. But it's his own fault for not buying. He should have bought the, the Mac Pro, as we know, it as soon as it came out. Yeah, and I, I even offered to sell him when I sold my 2010 era one, which which does run this, which is you know decently better than his 2008. I offered to sell it to him for a really good price, like well below market, just because I wanted to get rid of it. I don't I don't want to deal with selling it. And he was like, No, I'll I'll just wait. I'm happy with my 2008. Okay. The best time to buy a a, a computer is when it's brand new, and right. maybe if you're really smart, buy it like just a little after it comes out so you can read initial reviews and just make sure there's not like something really stinky about right. it. Right. Buy it like, like a month or two in. Yeah, like but, yeah, six cause, weeks like, in. Because like Apple doesn't, they don't lower their prices over time as the computers get older. Like you're paying the same price and getting the same computer on day number 900 of the Mac Pro as you were paying on day zero. 
Right? Like who's I, I just can't even imagine who's buying a Mac Pro right now. I mean, if you have to, yeah, I just imagine that almost everyone they're selling right now is through gritted teeth. Like somebody whose old one broke or or they've made a new hire, you know, you, we've got a new guy on the staff, we got to get him a, a Mac Pro. Um or something like that, right? And I mean, know. it's like it's like if you drop your iPhone in a toilet in like August. And yes, you're like, yeah, you're exactly. Like, Damn it! Like, but like it, you know, that makes people mad. Like, right. this is yet another reason why Apple needs to really look at this and see if they could do this better and release things more often. Because like right now, if you buy any Mac Pro, and even you know, yeah, not a lot of people buy the Mac Pro, but you know what? A lot of people buy the MacBook Pro, yeah. and that is also really outdated. Yeah. And you know, to have people knowing that these things are old and outdated. And I think a lot of people, I mean, not every buyer will know, knows that, but a lot, I think a lot of buyers do. And they're going to go a whole other summer now of all these back-to-school sales, of like, or like kids going to college, buying a whole bunch of MacBook Pros again, like that everyone kind of knows are basically like three-year-old hardware. Like, man, that it, like this, this is making people unhappy about buying Apple products. Yeah. That is not where you want them to be. Yeah, like, because Apple's, I think Apple's... Uh, mojo is the fact that people love you know people love buying apple products exactly it's like you know everybody it's like your christmas you know people uh, people who don't even do unboxing videos save the unboxing video yeah and like like when i got my tubes my cylinder mac pro like a couple months after it was released uh, i don't know like february or something of that year when i got that i was really happy with it it was amazing if but if I went to buy one today, now that I've already replaced it with an iMac almost two years ago, <laughs> would, like it's still the same computer today that I bought, like it, that I ordered in December 2013. It's I mean, re- it, it's really kind of strange. It really is. Uh, and you know, yeah. it's like I think I was saying before. It's like you can even go down the line and just show that the um, even within the MacBook family, the MacBook One has gotten a year-over-year update, uh, you know, less overdue. Like, the more consumer-friendly device is updated more regularly than the professional one. Even within the MacBook lineup, the Pro end seems to get short shrift. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, like whatever, it, whatever Apple decides, you know what, we need to hold back and wait for X, that needs tweaking. And if for a long time, it was just like, oh, you know, we'll just ship whenever Intel gives new laptop CPUs. But you know, in recent years, Intel has has had a lot of delays and has gotten less reliable. So maybe decouple that, or or you know, definitely don't skip any, uh, or figure out ways to give more free, more frequent updates. Like last year, when they they brought the Force Touch trackpad to the 15 inch MacBook Pro, so like it, it you know it has technically been updated, but notice that almost nothing else about it changed. From what I heard, the reason why is that. The GPU it was using was so old that Nvidia stopped making it, or or ATI, whoever, whichever one it was. Like oh, they man. just stopped making the part, and Apple was still selling these brand new in the 15 inch MacBook Pro, their highest end laptop. Oh man! <laughs> like, and if that's true, I mean that's that's really embarrassing. Hey, we just crossed the one hour marker a little bit ago, so I think we're on pace for a two hour show. We'll see. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you haven't seen the length of my notes for the headphone jack. I made an outline. <laughs> You're in trouble. Let me take another break here and thank uh, our very good friends, longtime sponsor of the show, Audible. Audible.com has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. 
Get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash talk show. They've been advertising on podcasts forever. And I always say it, it's duh, because anybody who's listening to me tell you right now about Audible is somebody who enjoys spoken word content, and that's what Audible has. They've got gobs and gobs, untold count. You don't have enough hours left in your life, probably, to listen to everything that Audible has. Um, I used to think, here's one thing about Audible that is eye-opening to me, uh, is that I always thought of them as the audiobooks company and they do have thousands and thousands of audiobooks but the other types of content they have uh like the like i just said the original audio shows news uh the comedy and stuff like that tons of stuff like that too so even if you're not into audio books like hearing a novel read out loud or something like that uh, there is tons of stuff there if you like spoken word content. And if you don't like sp- spoken word content, I don't understand how you are hearing me talk to you right now. Um, so go there, check them out. You can get a 30-day free trial uh, and you just sign up at audible.com slash talk show. No the, just slash talk show. Go there. Thanks to Audible for sponsoring our show. Go there and, and fill up your phone with with audio content. Um, all right, let's talk about the headphone jack. You sure you, you wanted a short show? <laughs> See, I I'm fascinated by this. I I wanted to write about this a few months ago, and it was one of those things where I'd collected a lot of notes and had some thoughts on it, and just I I think it's one of those ones where having a podcast sort of hurts my column at Daring Fireball because it was like I talked about it with a couple people on this show over a week or two, and then it's like I felt like I got it out of my system, so I never wrote about it. See, this is this is where you're in trouble now because. You know, a few months ago, when the rumor first started started going around, and we all talked about it. Like I talked about it on ATP. I remember, and, and so I probably won't get a chance to talk about it on ATP this week. So therefore, I'm going to dump this all on you. Okay. Um, because it's interesting. Like you know, so this kind of flamed up again this week because Neilai Patel at The Verge wrote this big thing about it. And well, then there go was back one else. step though. It yeah, started where did it start? With uh, Daisuke Wakabayashi published a story in the Wall Street Journal Monday, more or less confirming all the stuff that we've heard that. Um, uh, the next iPhone is going to largely look like the iPhone six and success and uh, uh, removal of the headphone port would be one of the main features and, <laughs> features. Well, changes, changes, changes. I, I, I'll even, okay. I, I will happily rescind that and change it to changes. Um, I forget, but just, you know, a whole bunch of things that we've heard rumored for a while coming out of the supply chain. And, uh, Wakabayashi had sources familiar with the matter who couldn't speak for whatever reason, confirm them, uh, which is worthwhile. It's, you know, it didn't have any, there's nothing in it that I hadn't seen before. Um, but it's always worthwhile when somebody with the stature and the, the, the track record of the wall street journal confirms it. But then after that, that's when Neelai published, uh, what was, what was the headline? <laughs> I forget. It was like something like you know six reasons why you know you don't want the removal of headphone jack, and and he even said like in his Twitter no, taking, link to taking, it, taking taking the headphone jack off iPhones is user hostile and stupid. <laughs> there you go. And he he even said he even kind of like disclaimed in his Twitter link to it like I was really angry when I wrote this, so it probably sucks. Like it was something like that. Like so you know I give him the, the benefit of the doubt on that. And a lot of his points I thought were valid and good. Not all I didn't agree with all of it, but I, I think I agree with most of it. And and then you wrote this rebuttal piece, uh, mostly mostly rebutting him, I think, that was basically like, it, you know, it's progress, it's going to happen. Why not now? Is that is that a fair summary? Uh, 
Yes, it's going to happen eventually. Maybe why not now? Um, if there's one thing that seems like people misread in it, uh, I think Steve Streza had a piece on on, yes. on Medium, and and his assumption is that I was arguing that this is a good change for iPhone users, and I never said that. If you read my thing, I never said that because I don't know. I have no idea what they're replacing it with. I don't know, and and Wakabayashi didn't either. I think people th- assume that the default earbuds will be lightning if if they're getting rid of the audio port what do we call it what is it called standard headphone jack doesn't even have a name it has a few names technically it's one of the family of phone plugs uh and it is specifically a 3.5 millimeter trrs jack well the trrs jack Uh, (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) i think most people assume that the standard ear pods are going to be lightning because then they don't have to have batteries and a there's no latency. There's all sorts of good reasons why you'd still want a wired set of ear earphones, ear pods, whatever you want to call them. Um, could be that the defaults will be Bluetooth or some other new proprietary mm-hmm. wireless. Bluetooth thing. seems like an upsell. That does to me too. Just also, be- if they were going to have a proprietary wireless thing, that would have been using the Apple Watch because Bluetooth sucks for the Apple Watch. So they they definitely would have used it there if they had one. Well, maybe it wasn't ready yet. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's up there with the Skylake Xeons. Right. I um, don't know, but who knows? I, but I just don't know. I don't know what the story is. And so my argument is more, I I think that the removal of this port is is inevitable. Uh, will it be there in 50 years? I, I just, no way. So what is the time frame? Well, Five years, it was there years? 50 years ago. That is true. And I think it's, you know, it, it has had a remarkable, you know, run. But I feel yeah. like the time is up. So j- just for the sake of argument here, I looked this up before the show. There's a Wikipedia article on the phone plug. Um, the the large, like, the if you ever seen, like, a stereo from, like, the 70s, or if you're a high-end headphone nerd, and you've seen, like, the quarter-inch version of the plug, it's basically, it looks just like the regular one, but it's about twice as big in both dimensions. Yes. Um, that version was invented in 1878 for use in uh, phone exchanges. And and the the stereo version that we mostly know today that has that has the the, the two rings halfway through, so it has like three total areas yeah. of of plug, and it's smaller, the three point five millimeter one. That one uh, appeared roughly in nineteen sixty four, and became popular with the original Sony Walkman in nineteen seventy nine. So we're talking about at least a good forty years. Yeah, yeah. So this thing is old and. You know this. You know what the reason it has lasted so long is because it is universal. It is very simple electrically. It's very very simple. There is no smarts to it. It's just like it's just pure analog signal going over these you know two or three wires inside the cable, or in the case of the of the headphone remote, four wires inside the cable. Uh, very very simple electrically. They're very reliable for the most part like the the port can get gunked up with dust but so can the lightning port so can any port um so you know compared to other ports it's not particularly bad for reliability um it's very very durable and it's very very cheap so you have this combination of like standard universal cheap durable simple like it's really great for all these things. And by the way, if you think it's too thick, there is also a thinner version. This, so this version is 3.5 millimeter. There's a 2.5 millimeter version that um, used to be on like some like answering machines. And, and then like more recently, it's often used like on the, on the ear end of removable headphone cables where like you'll have like the end that plugs into the phone and then the, the other end plugs into like your ear cup. Mm. Sometimes that end will be the skinnier one. You might, you might, you might have a couple of those. 
I've seen that. I, I I used to own something that had that. I don't know what the hell it was, though. But yeah, it's very, it doesn't matter. Well, the other thing about, about making the devices thinner with the standard headphone jack, I keep pointing this out over and over again, but the iPod Touch still has it, and the iPod Touch is significantly thinner than the current iPhones. Yep, and the Nano, too. I believe that's also thinner, yeah. and that also has it. So, like, it, you know, it, the reason to remove it now isn't a thickness barrier. Because, you know, there are, you know, we see Apple, Apple makes thinner devices with this. So that's not the reason. I would also say, you know, it's so like in, in my category of like reasons it doesn't have to go yet, you know, it, assuming it has to go at some time, the, one of the reasons this might not be the time is like, you know, what are we gaining by removing it, right? Because there's cost removing it. So I think one thing we're gaining would be, you know, a lot of people assume space for the battery, right? Except that, if you look at the teardowns of you know where this port is on the phone, you know down there at the bottom next to the lightning assembly and everything, and then on the other side you have the speaker next to it, you know, microphone and everything. Down there, like that's not where you need space for the battery. I mean, they could go to some kind of crazy system like the MacBook One, where they have like different shapes of battery things all over the place. But this is a phone, and they have to replace a lot of phone batteries under warranty, and people replace them aftermarket, and you know when they're old and in different countries and everything you need the battery to be easily serviceable, replaceable, and cheap. And so keeping it as one regular rectangle of a battery is way more practical for them. And also, like, the total amount of space you would save, or the so much space you would gain by invading that little, you know, rectangle of area at the bottom of the phone where the headphone jack is, you can just make the battery, like, some minuscule amount thicker and keep it in the same footprint, and it would have that same volume increase and be way cheaper and easier to deal with. So, like battery life is probably not the reason either because of just like where it is in the phone and what else is down there like i don't really see a a, a massive internal redesign of the phone layout inside where that space would suddenly become space you could expand the battery into it might but i think it's unlikely well i think it goes far enough in that the space is significant but i don't think it's huge i think the biggest space saving argument or, or three-dimensional, you know, this this thing is just too big or too thick or too long argument, would probably have to do with next year's new iPhone, which I believe, and is, you know, I, I've mentioned it on the show, and I know other there's rumors about it too, that if it goes to more of an edge-to-edge display, which would be like the top and bottom of the display go to the edge as close as the sides do now, then I think it's a problem because I don't, it's, I think it's a lot harder to have, the the jack would therefore have to be underneath the display. Yeah, so remove it then. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. It is <laughs> a good know, point. Like, that why now? That doesn't count for why now, unless they just right. possibly just want to eat the shit sandwich now of putting up with people's complaints about this a year in advance of unveiling that phone so that people don't complain about it when the amazing new industrial design is unveiled. Right. And and that but, might be the reason, but that's a crappy reason. I don't think that's the reason, though. I yeah. do think that there is a reason. All I'm saying, you know, and this is the, the the secondary thrust of my art, you know, my argument, which is, well, we don't know. How about we just wait and find out what the story is before we complain? Like it's to me that it's it's too soon to say this is user hostile and stupid. Right. Although it's also too late to change it. Right. But we don't have proof that it's not user hostile and stupid. It might be. I guess that if there's anything that I wish I would have emphasized more, it's like, okay, maybe it is. But we certainly don't know that yet, and it may well not be. Um, I'm wondering, and you know, you definitely know more about headphones than I do, is I'm wondering about if it switches to lightning, something digital, um, 
how much better could the input be, not just the output, right? Right now you think of a headphones as output. You put them in and you listen. Right. But like the whole input stuff, like voice, you know, through the microphone and the little clicks, like when you, you know, what there's like play, pause and fast mm -hmm. forward and stuff like that. I mean, you know, you write a podcast player. That stuff is all, that's just like a serious hack. It is a hack, but it's also it also works. Yeah, and but maybe, it is lim you know the main thing that you can say in from that point of view is that it's limiting. Like for example, you can only have mono input right now because there's only there's only one pin for the microphone return. So like you can only have one channel. So if you wanted to have like a, a, you know a nicer microphone setup, maybe if you wanted to podcast or record something from your from your device, you can if you're using that port, you can only record a mono. And lightning adapter, you know, lightning devices can add much more than that. They can have all sorts of inputs and outputs, and, and especially if they have custom custom apps to deal with them, then they can do a lot, and the most of them do. But that also isn't a good argument, because, like, well, we already have that now. Like, you don't have to remove the headphone port to have lightning audio. We have lightning audio already, and we also have the headphone port. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> just, you know? And there's also, by the way, while we're on this topic... There, there's a, a, a huge uh, argument going around with, with the pro side of this that this could enable better audio quality. And let me tell you, as an audiophile, that is complete garbage. This, this doesn't, it, first of all, you, you, know, you have the same problem of like, well, if lightning headphones can be better, great, we can have that now. We don't need to remove the headphone jack to make that happen. And, and the way iOS handles audio devices... If any other device is connected via Lightning or USB or, or whatever, that device just takes over from the built-in microphone and speakers and headphones and everything else. So, like, you don't even have to, like... The software doesn't have to do anything to take advantage of Lightning-connected audio devices. It, it just works. So, like, there's basically no downside from that point of view to keeping the headphone jack around. And the idea that some people have that a Lightning-connected headphone would have better audio quality because you could have, like, a really nice DAC and amp. That DAC is the DAC digital audio converter that converts, literally converts the digital signal to the sound that you hear. And then, of course, the amp amplifies that to different volumes for you. Um, right. At some point, it has to go to analog. There's no, Right. Because it's actually going to put sound waves into your ear. Right, and so, and so I wouldn't worry about the DRM angle like Neil I did because yeah. like it, it would be trivial to like, you know if if you actually relying on like analog output to capture to re-record to, to pirate something it would be trivial to to just you know take apart the headphones and connect a couple things to their to the to the wires that go to the drivers and you know that'd be it so that's that part of the DRM is not a concern licensing the connector is but I'll get to that <laughs> but the idea that you get better audio quality out of having separate like premium headphones that have premium DACs and amps in them, that is possible. However, it's extremely unlikely in reality. Because in reality, it is very difficult to distinguish differences between DACs and amps, especially once you've crossed a minimum threshold. And like people who make this argument are, are often talking about like how DACs and computers are, are always crappy. And the fact is they were really crappy like in the 90s. That's when they were crappy. And most like built-in headphone jacks and and sound cards that are in computers and and our phones and tablets today are pretty decent like they're fine and the limiting factor to how good they can sound is not the quality of the DAC and the amp in the phone it's almost always the limiting factor is the headphones that you're using and the environment you're listening in like that's that's it like when you're listening on your phone like you might be commuting you might be outside you might be in a loud shared office and you're probably listening on headphones that are like you know, at best, decent, 
probably not amazing <laughs> probably not like the big full-sized open-backed ones that audiophiles like to listen critically with uh and those headphones you're listening on like there's so much room for improvement in the sound just by better headphones better drivers better tuning of the sound to, to make it you know less trying to imitate beats badly and more just trying to sound good and you know like that is where improvement comes from. It does not come from in the portable realm. It does not usually come from different DAX and amps. It, the, DAX and amps are just a really nice way to sell overpriced stuff to people who want better sound, but never consider the fact that they should just buy better headphones. Uh, I saw somebody today, and I don't Sorry. remember who. No, that's okay. <laughs> this is good. Somebody today was speculating that maybe um, they will switch. They'll do like a noise canceling thing, and they'll have the the stuff on the phone doing it like right now when you buy noise canceling headphones you have to put batteries in the actual headphones like when you buy them from bose or whatever because it takes um it takes power to actually do the noise canceling so the phone could do it but i i I find that unlikely like it sounds good when you think oh noise canceling you know some people like noise canceling headphones and in certain scenarios like being on an airplane it's you know really is very useful um but I, that sounds very unlikely to me that anybody is going to find it a, a good idea to have headphones that draw power from your iPhone. Like when you're using the headphones, you're you'll get worse battery life. Like that that yeah. that doesn't sound like something people are going to sign up for. Like there is a like one of Neil's things was yeah. I mean, in reality, like it, it isn't that much power, but it's still you know it's still not trivial. But the reality is like. The high-end headphones, like noise canceling and everything, those are all moving to Bluetooth now. And I believe I have I have things to say about Bluetooth as well. But I think like a, a whole other side of this argument is like, oh well, Lightning headphones will be great. But you know what? Lightning headphones are very expensive. Like pre- they're premium price right now. There's very few of them, and the few that exist are very expensive. They will always be more expensive than other headphones because they're going to have the Apple licensing, the MFI, you know, stuff, and then they're going to want to be sold on Apple retail stores. They're going to have these, you know, pre, you know, I'm guessing most Lightning headphones are going to be above three hundred dollars in all likelihood, uh, and so you're going to have this this stuff. But the problem is, if you look at the headphone market, everyone's kind of freaking out and trying to rush out Bluetooth models in the last couple of years because everybody wants noise canceling and Bluetooth at, in the high end. Like if you're looking at high end headphones, like Headphones that cost more than two hundred bucks that are for iPhones or, or for for portable use, like everybody wants Bluetooth and noise canceling, and so that is, you know, in many ways that's an argument for the headphone jack removal because you can say, well, you know, if everyone's going Bluetooth, then you know we don't need this, right? And this is why I think, like, you know, Bluetooth is in many ways it is worse than wired headphones. in many ways it's a lot worse than wire headphones like the sound quality is usually pretty rough by the way the reason the sound quality is pretty rough is not usually because of lossy compression over bluetooth it is usually because the headphones are kind of mediocre or garbagey and they they have guess what they have a built-in DAC and amp in every Bluetooth headphone because it has to, because it is not powered by your phone, and the signal is transmitted digitally from your phone. So we already have a world full of aftermarket DACs and amps in headphones, and they're all garbage. <laughs> and the, the most sophisticated things they do are they tweak the audio, they tweak like the EQ curve of the audio coming out of the headphones to make up for crappy headphone drivers so like if you have if you have headphones that say you know suppose they have like really weak bass 
and they know that everybody wants strong base, they'll just use the the DAC amp chip in in the Bluetooth headphone. They will tweak the sound before they send it out to the to the to the driver to just artificially boost the bass. And these are like you know cheap components doing things you know in, in you know in a, in a very basic way, and it sounds pretty rough. And you can hear this yourself. If you have like noise canceling headphones, like like any Bose headphones that also can operate with a wire passively, if you can like turn off the noise canceling and to, and use them with the wire, turn it off and listen to how much worse everything sounds. That what you're hearing when it's off, that's like what the headphones actually sound like. And when you turn it on, they're like applying this big EQ curve to try to like boost it and make it sound better artificially, but it never it's never quite right. It never sounds great or natural. That's the world we're going towards. If we're if we're going towards more Bluetooth, more lightning, you know, headphones that, that are not just passive analog devices but actually have active circuitry in them, it's not going towards a world of like amazing DACs and amps and portable headphones. It's going towards a world of mediocre headphones that have their flaws papered over by kind of these these DSP hacks. So what are they going to do? I feel like if they switch, if Apple's story is, okay, buy this new iPhone, and when you open it up, you get a pair of our new Bluetooth AirPods or whatever they're going to call them. You know, somebody had a, a, there was like a trademark filing on the word AirPod. Oh, there, um, there's no way that's that's in the package. You don't I, think I'm, so? I'm thinking in the package you get like, you get the the cable adapted version of them, just like today, and then they will with sell you. With a lightning port? In some form, you know, whether it's like a dongle and then headphones no, or whether not it's just native headphones. There's no way they're probably not. a dongle. No way. Probably no way. They'll definitely no sell you one, but it, they yes. might put one in the box. I don't know. No. Probably not. But well, not that either you need, way. They might give you yeah. a dongle so that you can use your existing headphones if you'd prefer not to. But the headphones they give in the box have to just plug right in. And that means it has to be yeah, that's, that's probably right. Yeah. So... I'm guessing that they will gladly sell you a set of AirPods, if that's going to be a real product name. They will sell you a Bluetooth version of the headphones for, I don't know, 150 bucks, 100 bucks maybe. Like, you know, that's going to be an add-on. That's not going to be in the box. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, let's, let's not forget that Apple's really good at, like, making you spend a little bit more money at the point of sale and get all those attachment sales. Like, they've mastered this now. I think both, so, of, these, both of these ideas qualify as, of course, that's what they're going to do. They're Apple. Of course, Apple isn't going to make you use a dongle. They're Apple. There's no way they're going to make you use a dongle, and of course, yeah. of course, the air- wireless ones are going to be a uh, expensive upsell because they're of Apple. course, <laughs> exactly. So that's sold, and and the idea of like moving towards the world of Bluetooth because let's be honest, it's going to be mostly Bluetooth. It's not going to be mostly Lightning headphones, except for the ones that come in the box. Those will be very popular, but like aftermarket headphones, I think are going to be way more often Bluetooth than not uh, in the future, in the near future. If the story we're almost, there, we're almost there now. If the story is go go with Bluetooth, it solves some of the problems in terms of why would they get rid of the headphone jack? Well, we got rid of it because the future's wireless, um, and it also solves the how do I listen to music while I charge my phone problem, which is a real problem. I mean, and I'm I, <laughs> the solution is you discharge this other other device that you're wearing on your head at the same time. <laughs> well, how would you do that? No, you're right. I mean, the solution is you know either they ship some kind of pass through adapter, which would be pretty clunky, right? Uh, or, or you know, you just use Bluetooth. And when you're using Bluetooth, the iPhone is not concerned with the battery level of your headphones. That's your problem. It, it, yeah, and it does seem it seems weird to me. I have to admit. I mean, this is one of these things. Ever since the thing started, I don't see how they're going to 
sell this? And, uh, you know, what's the story going to be? Because I totally acknowledge, like, I see Jonas doing it all the time where he's got like an iPad at 3% and he's charging it while he's still <laughs> listening to the YouTube stuff that is on it while he plays the PlayStation. Um, I totally recognize that. I know lots and lots of people, they do it on airplanes. If you're lucky enough to fly on an airline that has, you know, USB or power adapters, uh, people charge their phone while they listen to music on the flight. I know people do it at their desks. People will charge their phone while they're listening to music on it. Um, uh, you know, it's it. I understand it, and I don't, if there's just one lightning port, and of course they're not going to put two lightning ports on the thing. No. How do you listen with lightning headphones? I mean, and that's the one idea that people were kicking around when the rumors were that the the new iPhones were going to have the smart connector type thing on the back, that maybe there'd mm-hmm. be like a Apple Watch style magnetic charger. But uh, I don't know. That doesn't seem right. Nah, especially and, like, you know, we already got like, you know, the, as they as they ship more and more other things that charge via lightning, it, it's pretty clear like, we have now a world where Lightning is like the universal Apple charger for all Apple products, except the watch, annoyingly. But everything else, it's like everything charges by Lightning. And I don't I don't see them throwing that away so soon. Yeah, like the pencil charges by it. The, the yeah. rumored, the, I forget if, if somebody just pulled this out of their ass or if it was a real leak, that the AirPods would have like a little, some kind of little Lightning thing that comes out or... Yeah, I don't know Bluetooth. I, I'm lucky that I don't I don't actually use earbuds or in ear monitors. I, I I just can't wear them. Like pain wise, I can't wear right. them. Um, Bluetooth is you know it's annoying for full size headphones, but it's not that bad. Uh, Bluetooth for earbuds has a whole bunch of challenges. Of like, well, where do you put the battery, and how do they connect to each other? And like, there's all sorts of like weird hacks that people have devised. Like, well, you have this like thing behind your neck or something. You know, like there, there's always some some kind of trick, but it's it's tricky to to get Bluetooth into into earbuds in a way that doesn't suck. Uh, but you know, overall, like Bluetooth, like moving towards a world of Bluetooth headphones, you know, it's in so many ways it's worse. Like. Number one problem is, of course, this is one more thing you have to charge. And if you're traveling, that might mean one more cable to bring or something and one more battery that could just die at inopportune times. And it's just kind of annoying. They're also, they tend to be substantially more expensive than other headphones of similar you know, quality and attributes. And it Bluetooth is slightly unreliable. Like it works most of the time, but like every time I'm walking with my, with my Bluetooth, uh, you know, little portable headphones for walking and listening to podcasts, Every time I have like a little clip out of the audio during some part of the walk, if I like turn, if I like put my hand in the wrong spot, like in my pocket or something, like it like blocks the signal just enough that oh, it can't quite make it. I get a little static, then I got to move my hand. Like, and it, I've tested so many pairs of Bluetooth headphones; they all have that problem. Like, it's all it's always some of them are better than others, but they all have that problem to some degree. And then there's the big problem of using whatever headphones you come up with, Bluetooth and Lightning. This would actually be substantially worse using the same headphones for multiple devices. So suppose, like, like when, I'm, when I'm on a plane, I'm always switching my headphones to whatever device I'm using. So if we're, like, you know, taking off or whatever, I'm just going to try to sleep, I'll have my, my iPhone in my pocket. But then if I'm going to, like, take out my laptop or an iPad to try to get something done on the tray, I'm going to switch the headphones to that. And, it, and, you know, a lot of people, they use the same headphones between work and home, at their work computer, or, at, or you know, work and iPod, like, excuse me, iPhone, iPods are ancient. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with Bluetooth, like because of Bluetooth, you know, pairing and everything, it's just such a pain to 
share Bluetooth head- headphones between multiple devices. Yeah. That in practice, nobody really does it. Like you oh, can, that's like a good point. some of them have like a multiple pairing memory, but they're always weird and hard to use. And it, effectively, Bluetooth headphones, you know, in practice, they just kind of get locked to their primary device. Yeah. So nobody ever really changes that. So that sucks. Lightning would be even worse because yes, you could you could swap lightning between like your iPhone and your iPad, but then you what are you going to do when you go to your Mac? Like you oh, can't plug li- your lightning headphones into your Mac. And that seems crazy. I mean, I s- threw it out there as a spitball this week that what if that's the reason the MacBook Pros are being delayed because they're going to put a lightning port on them just so that you can plug your headphones in. <laughs> But I mean, it doesn't I, in in every other way other than the idea that I would like to be able to use the headphones the same headphones with my iPhone and my Mac which is a very reasonable desire other than that it doesn't make any sense to put a lightning port on a Mac but I right. you know I I I don't know maybe I don't I, I mean it doesn't seem I wouldn't I wouldn't faint if that was announced but it doesn't seem right again the only thing that really makes sense is bluetooth but like you said bluetooth sharing between devices is really weird you gotta like i mean it's just like click 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 or tap tap you know settings bluetooth unpair pair type this code yeah it's just yeah it's 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 crappy and like and on the android side they have this whole nfc system to to make pairing faster and easier uh it's possible apple could add that to the next iphone they already have the nfc antenna for apple pay i I don't know much about nfc but it's probably the same antenna but so it's possible they could do something like that but uh, honestly i I don't see that it's hard it's hard to beat the 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 pairing process of uh, headphones as we know them. <laughs> yeah, is, you plug them in. Like, <laughs> and when it clicks, that's the thing. You're done. Like, yeah, and then if you want to, you know, if you want to, all of a sudden have the headphones be playing output from a different device, you know what you do? You just unplug it and you plug it into the other device, and because they all have the same port. Like, even the MacBook One has no other ports except it has a headphone port. Like, right. that's like that's the besides the USB C, like, that's like that's like the one other port they deemed worthy of including on that computer was a headphone port. Like that that just kind of shows like how ubiquitous and and important and how compelling it is for this port to continue to, to, to continue to exist. Like so ultimately though like if this thing about the iPhone is true, I think the world of lightning headphones is generally terrible a terrible idea and is probably not going to be very healthy. Yeah, but it's maybe it's probably going to be mostly adapters to regular headphones or bluetooth. Maybe though it'll kickstart it because no, it hasn't taken off to date. Because why? Why would you bother getting lightning headphones when you can get regular headphone jack headphones that are, you know, have the same audio quality and they're cheaper? Right. By the way, I should point out too. I, I love I love this so much. The headphones that are pictured in every article about lightning headphones on the Verge are the Odyssey uh, EL8 uh, titanium or platinum or something. They're eight hundred dollars and they sound terrible. <laughs> Just, just putting that out there. They look really cool, and we're gonna have lots of lightning headphones that look really cool and cost a lot of money. <laughs> but hopefully, they'll sound better than the EL8. Right. Sorry, Odyssey. I'm, oh, there goes one sponsor. I'm never gonna get. But uh, uh, let's dispel the notion that maybe may, I've seen this kicked around, and I think it is total nonsense. Never gonna happen. Is that the solution? Because one of the problems people have with lightning. The idea of using Lightning as the port for wired headphones is that now you're stuck with an Apple proprietary solution that has to get a licensing fee, has to meet Apple's approval, and therefore has to be more expensive than it would be otherwise because whatever the licensing fee is, it's if it's even a penny, that means the thing's going to cost a penny more. It's And it's not going to be a penny. 
<laughs> right. Well, so but the, the idea that people are I've seen kicking about is well, okay. Well, if a headphone port is should be open, and everybody likes having an open standard, uh, why not USB C? Maybe that's the idea is that the iPhone will switch to USB C. And guess what? Headphone port aside, the iPhone is not going to switch to USB C. No, there's no chance of that. No chance. First because, of all, it's thicker than lightning. Right. Then that alone is a deal breaker. And uh, I'll put it in the show notes, hopefully. But there's I got a good link. Somebody did like a really yeah. nice precise diagram um, showing just how much thicker it is. And it actually would be pretty close to a gating factor already on the iPhone 6. And everybody knows Apple likes to make devices thinner over time. So yeah. like when you just eyeball them side by side, you can say, oh, yeah, they're like more or less the same. But when you get right down to it and start measuring the, you know, tenths of a millimeter, it's it's too big of a difference. Yeah, definitely. And strategically, Apple is not going to give up their proprietary port that they've had on the iPhone all along for a non-proprietary port just so that they can have, uh, quote unquote, open headphones. Yeah, they. I mean, they couldn't possibly care less. Um, so yeah, I mean, and and the 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 cost increase. I mean, headphones already, especially you know, especially headphones that are targeted at smartphone use, and and are, would be the kind of thing that would be sold in an Apple store. Like the price of the headphone has so little to do with the cost of its components in this market uh, that that would not like the cost of MFI certification would probably not be the reason why these headphones cost a lot. Right. These headphones cost a lot because they know they're selling into a premium market that's based mostly on brand recognition and it's being sold in a high-end retail store. Like that is why that is why these headphones cost what they do. Uh, Lightning headphones will be expensive, but it won't be because of the raw component cost increase. It'll be because of everything else about them. Uh, so that's that's that. Um, you know, ultimately though, like I I really do believe that we are heading towards a world of Apple pushing us, you know, assuming this is true, the real push is going to be towards Bluetooth. It's not going to be towards the new cabling standard. It's going to be Bluetooth because that, again, we're already moving there so much because the reality is, like, as a user, like, look, I have a whole closet and a couple of drawers full of way better headphones than my little Bluetooth walking pair. And yet, the little Bluetooth walking pair is the one I am using most often with my iPhone because even though it is worse in so many different ways. It's more complicated. It's more expensive. It needs to be charged. It's a little bit flaky with that connection when I move my hand worse. It sounds worse. Like, the sound quality is worse. So much about it is worse. However, it is more compelling. And if you look at, like, it, it, you know, worse but more compelling is, like, the theme of modern computing advances. Like, so many things we have, you know, just, we have given up reliability simplicity openness cost so you know so many like good attributes we've given those up for a new thing that is just you know nicer in some way or i want it more or it's it's just more compelling for some reason and that's how bluetooth is that's why like i don't know anybody who has who has started using bluetooth headphones and then ever wanted to use wired headphones again well it's like wi-fi versus ethernet worse but more compelling Especially in the early years of uh, Wi-Fi. Yeah, I mean, Wi-Fi now is pretty decent. It was really not so in the early years, but again... And the speed difference was really, really dramatic in the early years. Yeah. You didn't even need to have a terrific internet connection, and you could easily saturate your Wi-Fi connection, and the Ethernet would be the other way around. Like, you couldn't couldn't buy an internet connection that would saturate, you know, even 100 base T. Yeah. But you know, you know, Bluetooth will, will you know, whatever argument we can have about the headphone jack now, like 
it will be worse not having it. It will suck not having it sometimes. For some people, it'll be more than sometimes. But in general, like, we are better off if we can keep it. But in general, the market is moving towards Bluetooth headphones, and it is worse, and that's okay. What about latency? That's one thing that bothers me. And I'm one of those weirdos. I realize it's like I tell people this, and they look at me, and they think I'm joking. But I generally run with uh, key clicks on. Like yeah. when I'm typing on the iPhone keyboard, I like to hear the clicks. But I can't – I mean, it's like I just the cognitive – trying to trying to make sense of the lag when i have bluetooth headphones on it's like impossible i can't also i mean it's hard it's hard to also ignore the fact that some pretty common tasks for people to do on phones include watching videos and playing games and both of those really suck if there's noticeable audio latency yeah the video problem they seem to have solved they seem uh, i don't notice any kind of lip sync problem you know that's really when you can yeah. tell with audios off if it looks like lips aren't moving in sync, right. and they've done something where I think that they 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 can you know like, sort of like what uh, Federighi was saying with the uh, speed of light calculations with the uh, on stage last week he said yeah. where they can tell just how close the watch is to the MacBook that's being unlocked with that new feature. Um, I. They do something where the video is lags by the exact same amount that the audio has to lag because of Bluetooth and it's in sync. But games are, are like the keyboard, like, you know, all the beeps and boops and blops are a half second behind. You know, but ultimately, I, I think what's going to happen is we're just going to deal with that. Because, like, I mean, one thing is, like, I learned this when I tried to buy wireless digital microphones for, for our recording this year uh, at WBDC and that failed miserably. Um, if you're transmitting audio wirelessly, if you're doing it in like a pure analog sense, like the way you know old cordless mics worked and a lot of old cordless phones worked, you know analog sucks in a lot of ways. You know you pick up static and everything, but analog is basically latency free. If you're doing it digitally, which is what Bluetooth is doing, having you know transmitting audio digitally wirelessly from some device in your hand to headphones on your head, and then having those headphones then convert that audio digitally into the analog sounds. Just because of the, the nature of digital transmission, of you know, there's like buffers in different places and everything, there's always going to be some degree of latency. And even the best latency, like even the lowest we've managed to get it as an industry, is still noticeable for things like lip syncing lining up and and for you know things like that. And that's like the best stuff. Most of what you're getting in Bluetooth, in Bluetooth headphones is not top notch equipment. You know, it's it's not like the best of the best. It's consumer grade, you know, cheapo stuff. And so you're never going to get digital transmission of sound from a phone to your headphones that that is latency free. It's it's we I don't think we know how to do that as right. as like a science. Right. So I think this is going to be one of those things where it's just always going to be worse, and we will just as a as a society we will just move to well I guess we just won't play games with headphones on, or I guess we just won't we'll turn off our keyboard sounds or something. I mean right. because. Again, like the advantage is like once you get used to using Bluetooth headphones, using a wire feels barbaric. Like it, it and because I know it's like I, whenever I travel on a plane, my, my my Bluetooth ones suck on a plane because they're they're small, and they don't isolate. So I usually bring a, a nicer pair of wired headphones for the pl- for planes, and it just feels so weird to have this like wire going down my side into my pocket. Like one, once you're not used to that, getting it again is crazy. Once I'm once I got used to having the the like track forward, track back volume controls on the ear cup as buttons on my Bluetooth pair, rather than having the clicker and have all right, click twice for forward, click three times for back, you know, and try to do like 
once again, once you get used to the convenience of it, it really is so much better that you tolerate all the crap about Bluetooth. Yeah, I I got them for running for listening to podcasts and and well, really just listening to podcasts yeah. while I run, and the 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 tethered. Uh, being tethered to the headphones always bothered me. It did. I never once figured out. I tried all sorts of stuff: holding the phone, uh, an armband, putting it in a pocket. Uh, I tried everything, and no matter what, that that the wire gets in your way. That's why I bought it. But then I, I this was like I, I don't know, nine months ago, something like that, when I got these the Beats ones. Um, but the thing I noticed was over the winter how nice it was in the East Coast winter when I could wear them all bundled up with a coat and still have my uh, phone in the pocket because with a winter coat on and a hat and yeah. stuff like that, it it was just another type of mess having a cable. <laughs> Try to like sneak it through different layers. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like sneak it through the button. You know, it's almost yeah. like when you wire yourself up with a lav mic. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then you know, trying to get it out, it's even worse. All right, here's yeah. another one last topic on the headphone thing and the, uh, the headphone port being gone. Yeah, that I have in my notes is the waterproofing angle. See that's that's kind of a bad one because like there are already phones out there that other people make that have headphone ports and are waterproof. And that's I That's true. I wonder <laughs> I wonder if it would be just part of the story though. Uh, you know, and then there's an angle where maybe it's a little bit of BS because hey, well okay, you're saying that the phone is water resistant now and one of the reasons is you got rid of this uh ancient, you know, uh, headphone port, but there's these other phones that are water resistant and they have it. Do the, do the other phones that have it, do they make you plug it up with like a, a little rubber cover or are they just like, nope, you can just... Oh, I don't know. I think that... The, you, you assume I've ever seen an Android phone. Well, there's a funny commercial. It's it's so... It's obnoxious, but there's like a funny commercial or a series of commercials for Samsung where there's a guy who's... I think I'm supposed to know who he is. I think he's like a rap star, but I, I don't know who he is. And he's he's got a new Samsung, whatever, top-of-the-line Galaxy Edge or whatever, and he's just pouring champagne on it. <laughs> and he comes into a convenience store, and he asks the guy... And he's pouring champagne on his on his phone while he comes into the store, and he says, you, you know, where's your champagne? And the guy points back there, and the bottle's empty, and he throws it away, and he goes buy a new bottle of champagne pops the cork, and then just starts pouring it on his phone again. And that's the end of the commercial. I laugh. What a bizarre company that is. It is, but it is such an obnoxious commercial. (laughs) They're they're very good at that. Like, can you even imagine if Apple had a commercial (laughs) that was, that just showed somebody, you know, wasting two bottles of champagne to pour on their phone? But I can only presume that the Samsung one must be waterproof with a headphone jack. I think it is, yeah. From what I've heard, I, I, I don't know the details, but I, I, all I know is that these phones exist, right? So, like, right. it's like you know, it, it, there are reasons that Apple could say on stage to, to why they did this. But like, if you look down the, the list of reasons why they might do this, you know, the the better audio, the you know, the thickness, the waterproofing, like all of these are not strong reasons because either they are totally unnecessary or like there's there's enough ways around that or enough asterisks on it that it's not really that valid so you know if you look at like there are some cynical reasons why apple would want to do this i mean they would stand to make more money they would save on component costs they would save on warranty repair stuff when they have to pull lint out of people's headphone jacks and fix the ones that jam up um which by the way again is also a problem with lightning ports uh, so like you know th- there are lots of reasons why apple want to do this i mean it would it would cause a wave of headphone upgrades 
and Apple sells a lot of their own headphones with their name and Beats's name on them. Uh, in addition, many of those headphone upgrades would apply at the point of sale. When you buy your iPhone, hey, why not also treat yourself to a, to this $200 pair of Beats because you're going to need new headphones with this phone. So that would help their attachment sale rate with sale of new iPhones. And so like, Apple would stand to make quite a lot of additional money by doing this. I hope that's not the reason. That probably isn't the reason, but I bet that's a reason. What if they do ship a pair of white in-ear just pods with the phone? You just get them with the phone. Wireless Bluetooth things that come with the phone. But then they also have uh, a whole lineup of new beat stuff ready to go. Like the upsell is for beats. It's that's possible, but I think it's very unlikely. I, I think it's way more likely what we said earlier that what you get in the box is either nothing. Like maybe they maybe they will just decide, you know what, we don't need to ship headphones in the box anymore. You can buy any of the things. We're doing you a favor. We're offering you the choice. All right, so maybe that's the angle. Or more likely, they ship wired lightning headphones in the box, and it's just it's just a wired lightning version of the ones they ship now. Uh, that that's way more likely, I think. Uh, and and you know, and it's possible that like the way the way that. Um, What's that Japanese rumor site? Like Octor or something? I don't know. I don't know how yeah. to pronounce Japanese words. It's, it, I will just embarrass myself, unfortunately. But um, like they reported months ago when we first started talking about this that the next iPhone would have like a special, uh, like some extra pins on the light, on the lightning port and special circuitry inside that they would actually send analog audio out over the port to be able to power passive devices that don't have a built-in DAC and amp. And that would be how the next cheap apple earbuds would hmm. would receive the audio like so it's physically over the lightning port but they're receiving analog audio that seems very plausible to me i said it even back then like that is that sounds extremely likely to be how they solve this problem for their own earbuds and and if they wanted to offer a dongle they could do one very cheaply and it could be a very simple device if they have that kind of setup yes that sounds possible. And that's one of the reasons I've seen people toss out, hey, maybe they'll switch the iPhone to USB-C because I think part of the official USB-C spec is uh, analog audio pass-through on one of the pins or something like that. I could be wrong. but um, Probably. And Lightning doesn't have that. But the difference is that Apple can change Lightning whenever it wants to. Exactly. It and and if it's... And and they can so they can so easily say like well you know we didn't need this part of the lightning port on any previous phone because they all had headphone jacks now this one right. we've we've helped everyone out so I think to me like I think I guess my my final for now comment on on the headphone jack thing is like is there any reason I can come up with why this would be a positive thing for customers it's obviously good for Apple why is it good for customers and I can come up with one reason and that would be if they replace the space used by the headphone jack with another speaker. And if they if by doing this they can dramatically improve the quality of the built-in speaker output of the iPhone. Because as I learn more about how people use iPhones, if you look like so I I do my own analytics in Overcast of like what is the current output device type? And the the audio API is pretty coarse-grained on that, but it can tell you whether it's internal speaker or wired headphones or Bluetooth or AirPlay. And that helps me to figure out, like, okay, you know, well, what kind of features do I work on next, basically? That's one of the reasons why I did the, the speaker-optimized voice boost in, in, in a recent version, because I learned that tons of people use the iPhone built-in speaker. And I always have, but I thought I was just, like, you know, a, a weird freak who worked at home. I didn't know anyone else did. But it turns out tons of people use the iPhone speaker all the time, even though it slaughters your battery. But it doesn't matter. Everyone does it anyway. 
And a lot of people do it like in cars to play music from their phone in their car that they don't have a, a better connection to. A lot of people do it around the house. I mean, it's just, it's so common. So, and that's one of the reasons why I ended up buying the new Baby Pro, the new 9.7 inch iPad, because it the, sounds so much sound, better. Oh my God, it's night and day. I mean, it's unbelievable. And like, it, I, u- I use it as like a kitchen speaker most of the time, yep. you know, plus like a couch iPad. And oh my God, it's massively different. So, what if they were able to do a large improvement to the internal speaker of the iPhone by replacing that headphone jack with a second speaker. Now, I like, I like your thinking. That sounds, yeah. that sounds compelling to me. The only, my only, you know, hesitation on that is that the reason they're able to do it with the iPad is, you know, when you look at like how you're allocating space inside of a computing device these days, these these mobile, modern, ultra thin, awesome devices. You like to think, oh well, you know, figure out what components you need and then fill the rest of the space with battery. The problem is batteries are really heavy. So my theory is that, you know, we you know we we talk about Apple pushing everything to be super thin and everything, and in some ways that goes too far, like the MacBook One keyboard. But I think what they really are doing is they're trying to target a weight goal, and the weight goal is limited by how much how much battery you're willing to carry, how much like how much battery you're willing to devote weight to. And then you can just kind of shrink the enclosure around that and be like, all right, what's the smallest enclosure we can make that fits only this amount of battery and nothing else, you know? And with the iPad, they've they've kind of reached this point where, well, the enclosure is this thin, flat thing, and they basically can't make it a lot thinner uh, and keeping the same amount of battery and still have it be a flat back. Like, they'd have to, like, kind of make it, like, a bulge where the battery sticks out, kind of like their battery case on the, for the phone, or, you know, something like that. Like, that, that would look dumb. So, the, basically, with the iPad, they because of this, like, battery weight trade-off, they end up having a lot of extra space in the case. So, they spent that extra space on big speaker cavities to, like, to like tunnel the sound and yeah. make it sound better and everything. On Although, the phone, they don't have that kind of volume to spare. So, they might get some of it with the headphone jack removal. And that might be enough to just basically like double the speaker we have now, which would help. That would be nice. But in order to make a really big improvement, I feel like they would have to do like a like one of those four speaker arrangements, like they have on the, on the iPad, or like have any phones on that. Probably some Android phones on that. Like to have like a speaker on every corner, basically, instead of just uh, the bottom. See, half. I don't. I don't think they would have to do that because I, I think everybody holds the phone. Although I guess when you watch video, it's always it is a little weird that that's. Sounds only coming out of yeah. one side. I mean, but I if, don't think they if they do. did that, it would be great. But I, I just don't think they have enough space. I, I don't think they have enough free volume inside the phone to do that. Yeah. It also raises the question of the the idea of the notion of hey, let's make the speakers bottom. You know, let's use the space on the bottom for the speakers. Do it on both sides. You could have stereo. Well, then why why not put this the headphone back at the top where it used to be for years? <laughs> right. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't. That's the thing. Like the my my most plausible, most optimistic version of this. It well, first of all, my most optimistic version is that the headphone jack doesn't go away. But if it's going to go away, my most optimistic version of this that is plausible is that they're just going to put a second speaker there that's roughly as good as the one we have now, or maybe a little bit better, and that will that will still be a big improvement to the speaker, but not as big of an improvement as we have on the iPad. I enjoy that. There's three hundred thousand people who've signed a petition. Not to do this, really? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, That'll help. <laughs> well, it's already done. If it's I know, true, that's the thing. it's too late. It's already done. It's getting to the point where I think it's too late to change next year's iPhone, let alone this year's. Like that's yeah, the thing people be. people do not understand. Like this is how Apple ships seventy million iPhones in the a first quarter. It's because it's the the production ramp up is months in advance. Yeah, I mean they're probably already being manufactured right now. 
It is this the, year's it, model. All this speculation. It is still. I'm damn curious to hear hear them tell me why. I, I yeah. can't wait. But I do know that. And again, they could make mistakes. Apple does make big mistakes sometimes, and this could be one. But in general, the company has a very strong. Uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like a rule, but just a policy. It's just the way they work is they don't make changes for change's sake. They only make changes if the change is for the better. Now, the question is better for whom? You know, I mean, it's and sometimes changes are what's better for Apple. But uh, I would maybe argue the force touch trackpad on all the computers that aren't the MacBook One, where the thinness isn't necessary, is uh, eh, maybe on the wrong side of that. But I can, can I just tell you, we disagree on that because okay. I'm, uh, I, I have my my regular uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro has the old physically clicky one. I love the Force Touch one. I like it so much that I would almost – it would be such a waste of money, but I almost want to get a new MacBook Pro just to get the Force <laughs> Touch trackpad. I like it that much better. I well, really I, I, I will say, though, that the one on the 13-inch MacBook Pro, which would be, I guess, the one you'd probably be getting. Um, Without question, that's the one I'd be getting. Yeah. That one is the best one that I've felt. Like like the it, it, a lot of people don't realize that every force touch trackpad feels a little bit different because they're all like different sizes, slightly different yeah. components. I think the one on the MacBook One is the worst. It, it is it's I mean just like everything else about the MacBook One, it's like you know horrible for input but really great for portability. Right, so it's fine. Uh, the the desktop one, which I actually have one, I, I use it as my left hand pointing thing for like when I'm scrubbing through Logic Project on editing podcasts. Um, the desktop one is decent. The 15 inch one is decent. The 13-inch MacBook Pro one is actually pretty good. Um, I would none of them I would call great, but the 13-inch MacBook Pro I think I would say feels the best. But honestly, I I dislike the Force Touch so much that I'm just converting myself to be a tap-to-click person, which I hate. But I hate it less. Hmm. Um, anything else on the headphone port? I think that's it. All right. I, uh, we're not going to make this two-hour mark because we just crossed We it just out. crossed it. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah. I, I have another speaker to thank. It is our, a new speaker. Sponsor. A new uh, sponsor. Sorry. I'd love to get a new speaker this we fall. We get a new speaker. Too. I've got yeah. speakers on the mind. Our new sponsor is Ministry of Supply. As humans, we sweat, right? Everybody does. Nobody talks about it, but you sweat. Well, here's the thing. Very rarely does sweating take place at convenient times. Gym clothes can handle it, but the clothes we wear to work, or at least that most people wear to work, aka a majority of the day, every day, do nothing to help. They're stiff and restricting, and they only add to the problem. They make you sweat even more. Ministry Supply has set out to fix this. Their brand combines performance technology and tailored design to make men's workwear that's actually comfortable and capable. So it's like they're taking the fabrics and technology of modern uh, gym wear and applying it to workwear. Uh, they have something, for example, they have something called the Aviator 2 suit, whole suit. It's so stretchy and breathable that people have actually run marathons in it. Now, that sounds goofy to me, but it's an example of just how just how stretchable, comfortable their clothes are. Uh, their co-founder set the Guinness Book of World Records for the fastest half marathon run in a suit that was wearing the Aviator 2. Uh, here's another example. Uh, the Apollo dress shirt. It has NASA-invented fibers that regulate body temperature based on your surroundings. It'll keep you warm when it's cool. It'll keep you cool when it's warm. 
Really, really great stuff. Very, very stylish. I've checked out the website. This is all sorts of great stuff. Very, very cool clothes. Uh, and it's all machine washable. You're no longer a slave to the dry cleaner. You don't have to take everything to get dry cleaned and iron or whatever. You could just throw it right in a washing machine like regular clothes. So where do you go to find out more? Advanced technology, great fibers, great comfort combined with really, really great stylish, very cool clothes. Go to Ministry of Supply dot com slash talk show ministry of supplies dot com slash talk show and remember that use that url or just remember the code talk show and you will save 15 percent off your first purchase they even have retail stores in boston and san francisco and coming soon washington dc so if you're in boston or san francisco or soon washington dc you can just go to the retail store and check them out and if you mention the podcast code there just mention the code talk show you'll save 15 percent off right in the store so my thanks to ministry of supply brand new sponsor go check them out get some new clothes what else is on our agenda before we, we sign off? We're almost done, right? I mean, uh, there were only like four or five more topics that you had that were giant, <laughs> like the entire conference or whole platforms like iOS and watchOS and tvOS. You know what? The so, watchOS thing is so fascinating to me because I just linked to a thing today where David Sparks so the, the 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 hiccup with upgrading to watchOS three. I would if I could just upgrade my watch to watchOS three, I would do it in a heartbeat because I'm it. I don't really. I have so many issues with watchOS 2 that watchOS 3 exactly tackles. I would betas and all, and I, I, you know, if my watch gets stuck, it gets stuck or whatever. Uh, that's fine. I, I could totally live with that. But the problem is you, you can't upgrade to watchOS 3 unless the paired iPhone you have it with is upgraded to iOS 10. And I understand why that is. It makes a lot of sense. But I am definitely not ready to upgrade my daily iPhone to iOS 10 and probably won't be until later in the summer. Yeah, I mean, like, typically, like, I think for... For regular people, the the best advice is just don't use the betas. But if you insist on using the betas, you know, wait until at least like public beta two or so. Right. And for for like people who want to write about it and talk about it or developers, I think a, a good rule of thumb is roughly beta three of the developer side, uh, which roughly correlates to beta one of the public side. Usually, right. And summer just is like the worst time of year for me to to like take risks with my phone because <laughs> like you're it, we're traveling, right? We're traveling, we're going on vac- <laughs> you know, vacations and just going away for weekends to see family and stuff. We just are out more. And so I rely on my phone more in the summer than any other time. Like if it was like time shifted by six months and we got like the betas in September, I'd probably put it on my, I wouldn't, still wouldn't put the first one on, but I, I definitely would wait and listen to what everybody says about developer beta too and probably go from there. But I can't do it in the summer. But anyway, David Sparks, bravely did and um really just had nothing you know it it it, it's true i mean effectively what apple said in the keynote because i was really skeptical honestly watching the keynote oh i think we all were i I mean like super skeptical to the point where i i was sitting with ben thompson and i was like if he's full of shit this is going to be so much worse like but you know, I got to play with them in hands-on, and they were as every bit as fast as promised. And now that people, brave people in the real world, are trying it, they're they can ver- vouch that what Apple said is true. It it has enough RAM to keep, you know, half a dozen apps suspended in memory, which makes them uh, instant. You know, when you switch back to them, they they're right there instantly. And the background updates. This is why it requires iOS 10 on your paired iPhone. The background updates really do update in the background. Yeah, and like it's you like there there's a lot of things that you still can't do like in real time, uh, or that like you know there's a lot of there's still a lot of limits 
to, you know, to, to conserve power and stuff, but it's substantially different and way better than how it was before. And, and, and by the way, like, you know, to, to help, you know, people not feel too bad that they, they can't run this yet, you know, or they shouldn't run this yet on their main phone and watch, like, keep in mind that a lot of these benefits you're not really going to see as a user until the apps can be updated for it, which yeah. can't happen until the release. Yeah. So, yeah. like, you, you know, you can have, like, your dock full of, like, Apple's apps, but you're not going to have any of those benefits for third-party apps unless you're, like, on, on their beta, maybe. But I don't even know if we can send out test flight builds for iOS 10 yet. I don't even know. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know either. But, but it's, it's, it's going to be a while if we can. Like, it's going to be probably later in the summer if that when that happens. And then, you, you know, any app you're not on the beta for, you literally can't use the WatchOS 3, you know, enhancements to that app until, like, October or whenever, it, you know, whenever it's released. It's at, at a zoom out and at a high level, it's interesting to me in a couple of ways. And one is that, especially with iOS, and watchOS is a variant of iOS, so I think it qualifies. Apple has, for years, had the, the knock against it that older devices upgraded to the new OS instantly get slower to the point where, you know, there was the Catherine Ramble article in the New York Times of all places that was accusing them of doing it deliberately to spur upgrade sales. I mean, that's something people believe. And there <laughs> is times really come downhill recently, huh? <laughs> for some, for some people, you know, there are, you know, and, and some of that is actually true. I don't think it was ever deliberate. I really don't. It's, it's antithetical to Apple. No, and, that's, and most I, of I the people it. I know at Apple who are engineers, if they were told to do something like that, they would quit. They would actually quit their jobs rather than purposefully make an upgrade run slower on a certain device. The problem is more that they, didn't spend enough time optimizing it because the everybody who was working on the new version of iOS was using the latest and greatest hardware. And then like at the end it's like, well, quick try to make this run fast on an iPad mini too. <laughs> and it's like turn off some stuff. It'll be yeah, fine. I don't know. Dial down the animation. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's time to ship. <laughs> Here it is. Uh I don't think it was purposeful. I really don't. But it was true that there have been versions of iOS that come out for older devices and it does make them slow. Um and it's so funny that with this one, it is going to make your year-old watch faster. In yeah, and and way ways. faster. Right. Yeah. Like, noticeably faster. Like, it, it, I, did, I haven't spent a day using it because I don't have, you know, the, but in the hands-on area for the press that, that I got to play with it, you know, it really feels like a, a, a new har- hardware. It's really kind of hard to believe that this is the same hardware as, as the old one. Yeah, I got to at WBDC. Um, I got to uh, play with it uh, with uh, underscore David Smith's watch, friend of the, friend of the show, my friend underscore David Smith, and because uh, you know, because he he's a big watchOS developer. He has yes. ton, he has good uh, you know bunch of watch apps, and so he had, of course, because he's incredibly productive and embarrasses all of us. He had already <laughs> built like two of his apps for the watch and like already had the complications installed and had him like so he was showing me this was like on like Tuesday or Wednesday of right. WBDC like. An amazing time. <laughs> it's, it blows me away. Yeah, and 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 I got to I got to like play with it. He was showing me on his on his. Of course, he had two watches. He had a second one to run the beta on because he's he's amazing. <laughs> and and uh, it really is real. Like it like it wasn't just PR. It wasn't just a presentation. Nope. Like the gains are real. Like it, it, I I I too was just a, just a skeptical. Like, I was like, oh come on, that's there's no way it's gonna be that fast in reality. And it really is that fast and reality. Like it's not perfect. Like some of the animations still like you know yep. skip a little bit here and there. You know it's it's still very slow hardware. But it just seems like it was being it was being used very poorly in WatchOS one and two. Like the you know the hardware that's there, you know it's it's not as bad as it seemed. It's still very slow and very rudimentary hardware. But 
the software was seemingly making a lot of bad life choices before, and now it's it. They've really had a lot, had a lot of time, and I mean, you, you know, I, I've I've been kind of kind of cool on the watch uh, in recent months, and I, I don't really wear it anymore. Uh, but this, like, this is a huge update. This is a way bigger update, and I'm way more impressed by it than I thought I would be with with you know whatever watch OS three turned out to be this summer. I I was not expecting this big of an update and this big of a change, and you know, for them to to reconsider and rethink some of some of the design of the watch software environment and you know to get rid of the stupid friend circle or at least move it somewhere else and and to get rid of glances and to unify apps with glances and to make you know like all that stuff you know i i've been thinking for a while like some of these things would be nice to do but they're not going to do it because they already built this whole thing and it's too late and it turns out it wasn't too late and they changed their mind because they saw how, th- how things were actually used and they saw ways to make it better and that's great and as a developer of you know, like I'm gonna I'm gonna make Overcast for the watch. You know, at some point soon. I don't I don't know if I'm making it in time for day one, but I'm I'm, I'm gonna try because uh, like my old watch app, based on WatchKit one, uh, it was just terrible. It was just yeah. too slow, too unreliable, and I didn't I didn't upgrade it to WatchOS two because it was gonna be a ton of work because it, it was WatchOS two was not too different for users, but it was very different for developers. Uh, so it was it was gonna be a ton of work to do. And the gains just were not really there, so I, I decided not to do it and to just wait and see what OS three brought. And I'm sure glad I did because yeah. OS three is a is a major major upgrade for users and developers. And now it's possible to actually make decent apps. Like before, even the best app you could make for Watch OS one and two, it, it was pretty mediocre to actually use. Now it's actually possible to make good, compelling apps for the watch, and it's still not easy, and there's still plenty of limitations, but it's at least possible, and there there is good stuff to be done there. I can't think of anything else to compare it to except maybe when Mac OS X first came out. And I know this predates you as a Mac user, but Mac OS ten point zero was so dreadfully slow. It, it was everything. I mean, like just clicking on a menu and having the menu drop down was slow because it just it, they were. What Aqua was doing, what the user interface was doing, was so far ahead of the hardware that it was just slow. And it was what made that so painful was one thing that was not a problem with the classic Mac OS was, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, snappiness. The UI, there were lots of technical problems with the old Mac OS, but it was very snappy because, and part of that was simply because it was so far behind the hardware. Because it was this OS, you know, the problems with the OS was that it was had had low level parts that dated to the you know eighties, and here we are running it on two thousand two thousand one Power Mac G three hardware. The hardware was way more powerful than what the the software was originally designed for, and it made it real fast. And so, you know, most of us at the time were either dual booting between the two for different tasks, or we had. Like, I used to run uh, Mac OS nine on my desktop, and I'd have mac os 10 on my power book uh, and it was so painful to switch and <laughs> 10.1 came out like five months later six months later something like that like way less than a year later and was a pretty big improvement it was still slow but it, it they'd obviously gotten a lot of low-hanging fruit out of the what's making this feel so slow um but it was nowhere near as dramatic as this watch os 2 to 3 it was, you know, it was a nice improvement, but it was really like a series of iterative improvements over like four years. Like, as I recall, sometime around like 10.4 was when Mac OS 10 finally felt like, okay, this is, may not be fast yet, but it's at least not slow. Um, yeah. I'm trying to figure out what, what is going on with watchOS 3. How is this possible? 
Well, I mean, I, I think I think Federighi's explanation last week on the talk show was was great, which is like basically like many of the things that were making watchOS so slow before were just like extreme conservatism about how you know how things are kept in memory how how what apps can do what they can't do what kind of background operations they can and can't do and that's one of the reasons why like basically with with watchOS 1 and 2 like every time you launched an app it was basically launching from scratch and it was not really able to do much, if anything, in the background in the meantime. So you'd have to launch it, then you'd have to wait for it to get new data because the data it had was out of date. And it, it was just it was just slow and it was a pain. And then you'd go and you'd try to launch it again like a few minutes later after the watch turned off to save power. You'd go to launch it again like a few minutes later or a few seconds later, and you'd be back to the clock face or the home screen. You have to go back to the app again or double click on the on the on the button to get the last used app or whatever. And it was just it was way too aggressive about kicking apps out of memory and about restricting what they could do in the background. And so, and Federighi explained it very well. It was basically like, the explanation was basically like, oh, we had extra RAM. Like we yeah. overshot our budget on RAM and power. And it turns out, you know, the way people use the watch is different and it works better than we thought it would for RAM, for RAM and power. So we spent some of it. So, you know, the, you know, the watch now, like with OS3, if you if you use any of these new features of having these apps in the dock and having them you know be updated more often, or especially if you put them in complications, then they can update a lot more often. Like you are going to get less battery life, but I think it can you know like when I wore the watch every day, most days I'd go to bed and the, the battery would be at like fifty percent. So yeah. I, I, you know I'd be willing to spare a little bit of battery life to make the thing more useful to me. I just. Th- I don't. I think that's all true. And I again, I think Federighi's explanation was interesting, and I think very honest. You know, I think that the being stingy with RAM was was, um, you know, probably very much true. But strategically, I here's my theory. I think what we're seeing is that Apple released the watch too early, and that this is what they should have launched with, and that the it, the process that they went through of having what we we know as watchOS one and then watchOS two was what they sh- should have. And in the past usually went through internally before they got to, okay, this is good enough that there yeah. were probably like a version of the iPhone that was every bit as crappy as the user experience of watchOS one. And maybe not even crappiness, but maybe like the confusing nature of the, the UI paradigm and, and yeah. the, the convolutedness and like a, there's like there were like some yada 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 parts of it where there's no real spatial thing. It's like well you drag you know these glances are down there and you drag them up, and the apps are you know like behind the watch face. You click this button and you get to the apps and then they pop forward. And the apps the glances are sort of like an app except they're limited but they're always there. And it's like well why are they down? What's why is this other thing underneath? I feel like the everything probably goes through that. And again I I always hate to bring out the you know. Steve Jobs card, but that one of his gifts was, of course, he was great at motivating people to work really hard and ship things ahead of their time. But I also think that he had an uncanny ability to keep saying not good enough, not good enough, even if it meant shipping years after he wanted to ship. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, like as we talked about earlier, like with like, you know, Tim versus Phil and everybody else for like product direction, you know, Steve was the head of product direction. You know, he he was like the chief editor, and you know he he I think he played large roles in product in product uh, choices and direction. And you can't have somebody like that 
just removed and, and gone forever and have things not change. Like th- things are going to change and not all of it's going to be for the better. You know, a lot of it's going to be better. A lot of it's going to be worse. A lot of it's going to be different. One of the things that changed is like the role of like that product editing and pro- and the head of product direction has now apparently from what we can tell been kind of split up between yeah. different people. And the watch, from what I understand, the watch is kind of, was kind of like a satellite project and it seemed, you know, there were, there was a lot about the watch. It was kind of bizarre like some of the like the like the weird creepy like stretchy face emoji and the whole like friends the ring of friends you're supposed to like digitally touch i mean it was the whole thing was weird and 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 again like some of the spatial things and and why watch kit 1 was just so incredibly bad and why they decided to ship that it does seem like that might have been partially because of this kind of split product responsibility this was kind of relegated as a satellite project or a skunk works kind of thing you know, not maybe not because it was like considered low priority, but just because it was like something new and everyone else was busy. I don't know. I don't know the reason, but it was clearly something from like a side project division of Apple. Yeah, and and uh, it it was kind of, it suffered in a number of ways because of that. And it, it seems like they've they've maybe realized like this was not as good as we wanted it to be at first. So let's let's fix it. Let's put some more into it and let's actually fix it. I think that they would have gotten to this point inevitably. I just think that it's almost like we've gotten an amazing behind the scenes look at how Apple goes through designs, you know, and and iterates. And it's this makes so much more sense at just a basic fundamental level and it works so much better. You have to remember too that 2 years ago, so 2 years ago at this point, the watch hadn't been announced yet. It was announced in September 2 years ago, but it was rumored uh and at the time, Apple was under inordinate scrutiny for Apple can't uh, innovate anymore because Steve Jobs isn't there. And they haven't had a new product since the iPod or iPad in 2010, and now it's been forever, and they're overdue for a product. So they were under tremendous scrutiny for, hey, how about you release something new and show us that you can still amaze us? Um, and I think part of that was pressure on Tim Cook. A CEO, and I think part of that was definitely pressure on Johnny Ive as, well, let's see what Johnny Ive can do now that he doesn't have Steve Jobs. And I, I, ultimately, we don't know who it, is, who it is who got to say, okay, let's ship the watch this year. We'll announce it in September and you know, ship it sometime later, probably next year. I, I don't know who made that decision that this is good enough to ship, but I think in hindsight, especially now that we've seen Watch OS 3, it was clearly too soon. I think that the watch should have been announced this year. And I, maybe I'm wrong because two more years of where's, you know, how about a new product? How about a new product? How about a new product? Maybe that would have been too much to bear. But I just feel like this really feels to me like what Watch 1.0 should have been. Yeah. Oh, no question. I mean, it's, it, there's, it's still not perfect. Uh, I mean, nothing ever is really, but it is such an improvement. And, and to have such an improvement, uh, you know, after, what is a relatively short time, uh, really? I mean, heck, the hardware is feeling pretty old at this point. I wish right. they'd update that, but uh, but you know, the, the, to have the software go from where it was last year to this in one year uh, is very impressive. And but you know, on the other side of that, like, do you think they actually would have reached this conclusion internally? Because like, one of the things they can't do really internally mm. is is learn what people will do and what developers will do with like how many apps will you use what will apps want to do what apps will end up being compelling and which apps won't uh, they kind of can't do that very well without just releasing it and seeing what the app market and what the users actually do with it but there is a lot of stuff about like the initial release of the watch that you look at and you're like 
did they test this much internally? Like, like, did they really think this was going to be good? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, some of the stuff that is in WatchOS 3 definitely wouldn't have been there if they hadn't launched and observed what people really use it for. And a big one is fitness tracking, that an awful lot of uh, Apple Watch purchasers, I, I think maybe they told me in a briefing what the percentage is, but it's, it's big. I, I don't know if it's public or not, but a big percentage that they have found of people buy it primarily as a fitness tracking device that it is just a, a one-to-one competitor with like a Fitbit or something like that. And therefore, they really, really focused on the fitness and activity tracking in uh, watchOS 3. I think that the, the new default watch face is the one that shows the, the circles as the dial. I think that's how big of a deal fitness tracking is, that it's it's now the default watch face. Um, it was, and, I mean, if, you know, when I used it, I was all about the fitness rings. And I, you know, if I cared less about watch face design, uh, I would gladly set that as my as my home screen. You know, right now I'm just too I'm just too much of a picky jerk to to want to yeah. use that. But but uh, but so like, that's there too. Yeah. I mean, there is yeah. in some ways Apple is benefiting from you know the release early and often. You know, and especially in the way I think the other thing we're seeing, and I think it's I think it makes sense to me that software takes longer than hardware in some ways. Oh yeah, easy especially like to design because it's it, it's too nebulous there's too many too much too many infinite possibilities it's the const- the constraints of hardware like well look it has to look good johnny's made this design it has to can't be any bigger than this it has to be this small so that there's like a model that people with smaller wrists and like women and children can wear without looking ridiculous um and you know it's the the screen the the most energy efficient screen we have is going to consume this much power and you know take all these constraints and figure out what the best thing is is almost it makes it faster to come up with the design than the infinite possibilities of software yeah although to be fair i mean like you know i think as we're seeing the apple watch hardware get somewhat long in the tooth now uh if you look around the smartwatch landscape you know, when the Apple Watch first came out, the smartwatch landscape looked pretty miserable. There were there was almost nothing else of value. There was like on the low end, you had Pebble, and Pebble watches are are basically the you know the the modern day geeks' quartz watch. So right. it's like you know it's it's not like that like you know high high fashion. It's it's not particularly glamorous or even graceful or even you know necessarily even nice but it was right. it served a very useful purpose and it was like a great utility uh and it looked like it, it but it was priced like it too and it was fine then i still you had, i like, root for them i root i don't like pebble i bought one and i did not like it but i still root for them as a company because i really enjoy the fact that they have a very different set of priorities than yes. anybody else they're definitely appealing to nerds they're definitely appealing to people and you know who want to get notifications from apps and stuff but they they value practicality above anything else to a, a ridiculous degree and that's yeah. very different than apple and and they're and also you know i, I again i gotta give them credit their pricing is really low for what you're getting like yep. the, it's a very good value and then you know so we had that and then we had like the the initial batch of android wear watches which were just horrible like they were just the worst but that was now you know what almost two years ago they've moved on pebble has gotten better I, I i still they're still not my style but i greatly respect the progress they've made in that time and the android wear watches like i i'm now seeing android wear watches in person like in in the world like around and occasionally like i'll, I'll be somewhere like i was at i was getting my uh, windshield replaced 
uh, thanks, Highway Rocks. And uh, and the the service guy I was talking to had an injury. I'm like, what is that watch? And I asked I asked him about it, and it was I forget which one he said it was. It was is the is the LG Urbane a thing? Is that a, uh, a watch? It might have been that one that's sticking out my head for some reason. But like I've seen now a number of Android Wear smartwatches in person that look decent. They're all pretty big for me, but they still they look decent and they they. I think they might even look more modern than the Apple Watch, possibly, just because like it's it's fr- it's a fresher look, you know. Again, you know, just like with the Mac Pro, huh? like you know, Apple set the bar for this is going to be the future, and it's going to be all this GPU power. And then they just didn't follow through. Uh, with the Apple Watch, they they set a big bar on fashion, uh, and to have this this object that is supposed to be like this this fashionable accessory that you wear. And then to not update the hardware for a long time is, uh, I don't know. That, I worry about that with the Apple Watch. But I, I think it'll be all right in the long term. Yeah, anyway. I, I think we're seeing a pattern that repeated that that started with the original iPhone. where um, So the iPhone 3G did come out a year after the original iPhone. But it was barely an upgrade. I mean, it was really just the 3G. And I always forget there's something else. Maybe it was like GPS. It had a GPS, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't just the 3G, but the 3G is the one that affected me on a daily basis. Like, I just remember thinking, like, "Wow, I really hate the way this feel this phone feels compared to my old one." But oh my god, 3G is so much better than Edge. Um, but otherwise, they really didn't didn't get like a performance upgrade until the 3GS two years later. And it's yeah. so it's looking like the performance, the serious performance upgrade for the watch will come two years after after the announcement, a year and a half after it was after it was released. I think ultimately uh, what the Apple Watch needed from the beginning, and we're seeing some of that now with OS 3, and, and we'll see what happens in the, on the hardware side. What it needed from the beginning was just like focus and editing. You know, like at the beginning it was like, oh, I can do all these different things, and we have this crazy gold version. You know, the, the number of like rough edges that got sanded off, you know, as the product found its place in the market. Um, I think though, like, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, you and I are are both watch nerds, also, and I I'm not sure that the right formula for something that's supposed to be a mass market watch is to have everybody wearing the same shape, the same looking rectangle with different bands. Like physically, I think there needs to be more variety in the physical attributes of the watch itself for that to succeed in that way. If they wanted to, and they might not have a chance. Like that, that you know, fashion and watch nerds might just move too quickly or be too picky, or you know that it just might not work for them. But if they're going to go for that like high end or even middle, even mid range fashionable angle for this, it needs more variety in the actual watch body. I don't know, and about that, that requires a different kind of software focus that they're not yeah. taking. So I'm guessing they're not going in that direction. But like, yeah, there doesn't seem to be anything in watchOS three that would hint at a circular face, for example. Yeah, or even just like you know, maybe have maybe have like a passive mode or some or you mm. know, where you're always showing something on screen, or maybe have maybe have some that are maybe not round, but like maybe have like a thin model that maybe doesn't have the heart rate tracker on the back. If for people who don't want that, but want you know a dressier version or something like just having more hardware variety because like bands are nice and they do make amazing bands. Overall, Apple's watch bands are excellent. Uh, and some of them, like like the Link bracelet, I think I've never seen anything better than that in in the yeah. other in the rest of the watch world. But but like the, the there's still like you're still basically everyone's wearing the same watch. And when it comes to fashion, the one thing I, I don't know a lot about fashion, 
But the one thing I do know is that you don't want to be wearing literally the exact same thing everybody else is wearing. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you want some kind of variety there, some kind of individuality. And putting on a different band is not enough. That, that's, that helps. It's better than nothing, but it's not enough. Uh, while at WWDC, I had a, a very enjoyable afternoon with uh, CGP Grey, a uh, good friend of yours. Um, I guess an enigma. Uh, it was. It was funny. Um, where did, where did we get talk? I was going to bring up coffee, but uh, we met. We started with coffee, and we met at Blue Bottle, and it was very, very funny because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what he looked like. <laughs> it was like we, it was like, oh, what about Blue Bottle? I'll meet you there. I need coffee, and he's like, I need coffee too. So I, I uh, got there, and as right as I got to the line, and the line was very long. I mean, like long even by Blue Bottle standards. I got a, I got a DM from Gray that just said no man should stand in a line this long. And I turn around, and there he was. Uh, and it was exquisitely pulled. It was an amazing introduction because he timed the text, and I, as soon as I turned around, there he was. And I just said, yeah, this sucks. Let's go to Pete's. And he was like, fine. And we just walked over to the I, – I can't even tell you during WWDC how often that happens. I like Blue Bottle, but I don't like Blue Bottle wait half an hour in line and then wait another 10 minutes for the drip. No, it's it, it is good coffee, but it's not that good. It it isn't good enough to wait on that line. So we got, uh, and you were there with me the uh, the day of the keynote. We went to Phil's or Phil Z. I don't know how you pronounce it. I think it's just Phil's. I liked it honestly. I I, I had de- I had a good cup of coffee there. I, I I would say that was the best cup of coffee I had that week. Well, I also like their system where you don't just order and then it goes in a queue. It's like you wait for a barista to become available, and and then you place your order. And then they make your. I always get drip coffee, and then they yeah. they make your drip coffee, and it takes like two or three minutes. I got worried because I I skipped out of the keynote about twenty minutes before it started because they <laughs> ran out. Of, they didn't it have was any, like ten. It was like you, you they, were late, weren't you? No, I no, I was there plenty. I was there with a couple minutes to spare. So what happened is I got <laughs> to the Bill Graham Center at like nine oh five in the morning, and I think they let people in before nine o'clock. The press people, at least. And I got there at like nine oh five, nine ten. I said hello. I saw some people I knew and, and some Apple PR people and said, you know, hello, hello. Went over to the coffee and it was all gone. It was all at, gone at like nine ten. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And I went in. I found a seat. And, uh, and <laughs> I mean, I was granted, like, if that was the same coffee they were serving outside in the line, they were doing you a favor. I guess because it probably was the same coffee. Uh, I. It, it just threw me off because my normal my normal way is to go to Blue Bottle I would, and then I'd go with my Blue Bottle and then go to Moscow when it used to be at Moscone and then go say to hi to all my friends who are waiting in line for the keynote yeah. while I, I've done it to you. <laughs> yes, every I've, year. I, I've got – you're waiting in line and you've been up since like 5 in the morning and I just woke up and I have delicious coffee and I'm going to use yeah. my magic press pass to go right to the front of the line and get in. And get and, a front row seat. And I've always <laughs> – enjoyed that well i didn't know what to do this time i wanted to get i had to get a cab to get to the bill i didn't have to get a cab but uh, you know to get there as soon as i could i wanted to get there so anyway 20 of or so i told ben i was like screw this i'm gonna go find coffee so i ran out of the building and found the phil z about two blocks away uh, and i didn't know i didn't know anything about phil z except i'd heard good things but i just wanted to drip coffee and ben wanted one too so ben didn't have the guts to go he just said get me one um and I saw that they were going to make it pour over and that they didn't have like pre-made coffee that they could just pour into a cup for me. And I thought, oh, this at, you know, at Blue Bottle, this would take too long. I'd missed the opening of the keynote. I said, how long do you think this is going to take? And she goes, oh, just two or three minutes. And two minutes later, I had my two coffees and I was out the door. Excellent. Uh, I, 
I, I had a I was I was so sad because I I had just met Federico Vaticci. Uh, like the night before, and and uh, you know he's he's really into he's Italian for one, and he's really into coffee, and so I had to have my first coffee with Federico Vaticci as the crappy coffee in the line at Bill Graham, <laughs> and I was like I'm so I was I'm I'm so sorry I'm like we shouldn't really drink this like please and to have that be the first coffee that I have with Federico Vaticci is is just heartbreaking criminal. And so fortunately, we went with you after the keynote. We met you outside, and we went with right. you, and we went back to Pete's and, and got better coffee no, there. Phil, and, Phil Z, we went to. Yeah, right. Yeah, sorry, Phil Z. Yeah, <laughs> and that was so much better. I feel like that made up for it. Like I, I I'm just gonna forget about the the urn coffee that we had in the line, and uh, just hope nobody got a picture of it. Uh, and it, oh man, it was such a shame. But but you know the Phils or Phil Z actually made up for it. Like. That was really good coffee, I and mean, I had that for the line going back into the State of the Union, and that was like, I feel like that was like the forgiveness for the morning. I kind of can't believe how honest uh, their system is. Like, you go to a barista, you wait, you wait till a barista calls you, and it's sort of like a barbershop system where you wait in line until a, a barista says, "Okay, I'm ready." Next, and then you go to the barista. They make whatever you ordered. Uh, then they call your name when it's ready, and they give you the drink. You haven't paid for anything yet. They just give you the drink, and then you are – it's just on you to go over to where the register is, which is separate, and then just tell them what's in the cup, and then you pay what you owe them. It, 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 I, I'm glad because it seems like it makes it very efficient, but it's it seems to rely on uh, you know, the honor policy to a degree that you don't really see in retail places. I'm also – I'm curious to, to hear if you get any flack about – us talking up Phil's on this episode because when I tweeted uh, a few a few days back that Phil's was the best cup of coffee I had in San Francisco that week, I got a lot of responses that seemed to indicate this is not a widespread opinion, hmm. and and that apparently Phil's is looked down upon by a lot of coffee snobs in San Francisco. Uh, and I, you know, I got to say, I mean, I only had one cup of coffee there because it was not. I it was only near Bill Graham. I don't think there was one closer to where we were. So yeah, like, I don't think so either. I only had the one cup there, but that one cup was definitely way better than what I had at Blue Bottle, what I had at other places, like way better. I'm not, and I'm not, I don't have the fine palate that you do, but I had one, I think I only had one Blue Bottle this week and it was good, but the combined experience was worse because even in the best case scenario, you have to wait so much longer. Right. I have never gone to Blue Bottle in San Francisco and decided, you know what, that was worth it. Because it's like I, I I always you know I try to go I try to go like before before going to the first session at Moscone, and so I'm 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 in kind of a rush, and because I never I never leave enough time when I wake up in the morning because who wants to wake up earlier than you have to so you know it's certainly not us and so like you know I, I go down the blue bottle there's this huge line I'm like oh you got to be kidding me I wait in the line I wait I wait I wait eventually I get the coffee after way too long and I'm sitting there and then I have like you know a sunk cost fallacy halfway through the line like. God, I really this is I'm going to be late to the session. I'm going to miss the first 20 minutes of it if I if I wait in this line. But I've already waited on this line for the last 15 minutes. It, it seems like I'm getting close to the beginning, you know. So all the all those fallacies and and stresses. Finally, get the coffee, and then I have a problem on my hands because now I have this huge full cup of very very hot liquid. They don't double cup there. The best you <laughs> could, and they don't have those little jackets. The best you can do is wrap a napkin around to just try to insulate your hand from this scorching hot cup of coffee. That like I'll, so I'll br- then I'll, then I have to walk from there to Moscone, which is you know a medium walk, uh, a few blocks. 
trying not to spill this coffee on my hand or anywhere else as I'm walking with it, but it's way too hot to begin drinking. Then I finally get to Moscone, and I have, again, this giant cup of hot liquid that I have to just, like, still be carrying with me and doing something with until I finally get into a session, at which point there's nowhere to put it in the session. You, you know, you can put it on the floor, but that's a, a big risk of getting kicked over, and yeah. you don't want to be that guy who spills hot coffee on, on, the, on the rug in Moscone. Uh, so, like... You're basically left like holding this thing for like the next half hour as it cools down to a drinkable temperature, and then you have this giant cup of coffee that you basically have to finish. And usually, that's too much caffeine for me. Even even their small size, usually I only drink like two thirds of it. But I feel kind of pressured to finish the whole thing. It's like, well, I, I have nowhere to put this. Then I'm like buzzed over the whole rest of the day. It's just every time I say, you know what, that wasn't worth it. Next time I should just either like you know grab an espresso somewhere you know anywhere anywhere can serve a, a reasonable espresso in that area so like you just grab a quick espresso or just tolerate the Moscone coffee or just drink tea every time i th- i think that and every time i forget to do it the next time they need those things that gray and uh, brady are always talking about the hot stoppers isn't that what they call them yeah that would solve one of those problems it would solve but the travel problem yes phil's, but that's phil's gives that's out it. hot stoppers because there was i actually kind of jogged back from phil's to the keynote with two coffees and so without hot stoppers i my, i would have two mangled scarred hands <laughs> uh, anyway but, it, but you would have good coffee though the whole reason i brought or was reminded to to mention gray was i know one of his pet bugaboos with the watch is he wants uh third-party watch faces and yeah, I, broke, I would love that. I broke it to him, and I'm going to break it to you, that that is never going to happen. It is not going to happen. And this is going to make sense to you, and it made sense to Gray. But it's this weird crevice that Apple and only Apple is in, in the smartwatch world, where they do fancy themselves to be a real watch company. Mm-hmm. And as a real watch company, they have there's certain things that everything, anything that you can see is always going to be San Francisco. Now, they could maybe enforce that for third parties, possibly. Um, any analog dial is going to use those those hands. That's the Apple style of watch hands. Like the big ovals. Those I don't know what you call them, but those yeah. big ovals, the capsule-shaped hands. I guess they're... Are they tight? Yeah, they are, they are ovals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, you know, and in the real world, high-end watch companies typically have things like that, like the hands on a Rolex. All they're not all identical. There may be like two or three different styles of Rolex hands, but they're all Rolexes are have hands that are instantly recognizable as Rolex hands. Yeah, they're kind of all like in a, in a family. Yeah, in a family, and the dials are all unmistakably Rolex mm-hmm. style dials. And insert name of your favorite high-end watch company here and those things are true for all of them because anybody if it wasn't true for them they wouldn't be a high-end watch company and apple fancies itself a high-end watch company and therefore they're and if you look at all of their dials they're other than the mickey one which is sort of an exception the mickey ones are a little different um uh they're they're unmistakably apple watchy there's an apple watchiness to all of their analog ones and the the digital ones too and so, therefore, there's no way they're going to open that up to third parties and have people making, you know, watches that look like, I don't know, Omegas or something like that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's never going to happen. There's so many pro- – yeah, I mean, there's there's the intellectual property infringement problem of and, – and if you look at other smartwatch platforms – you know, Pebble, Android, like they do have this problem where there there are tons of like knockoff faces of like popular watch brands. Like there's just copyright and trademark infringement all over the place. Like it's a it's a mess. And so of course Apple wouldn't want that and certainly wouldn't want the liability of dealing with that, nor the kind of like, you know, lowbrow nature of that. 
Um, but also, uh, you know, technically speaking, I think there's a lot of technical reasons why Apple would want to control the Face app. And right. they could overcome these barriers if they really wanted to. They could make, like, you know, basically like a watch face kit and, and you know, have you kind of like supply you know certain custom behaviors or certain graphics or whatever else and but have them kind of still run the code like they could do a system like that if they wanted to but i think they don't want to for these reasons you know and and i think you're right that we're probably never gonna get that and honestly the reason i want it is completely selfish the reason i want it is because i want to design my own watch faces because i'm a huge (laughs) like watch face design critic nerd like I, I nitpick every watch face I see, and there are very few that I'm happy with. And even the ones I'm happy with, I'm usually like only mostly happy with because I'm that kind of nerd. Uh, and I, th- I think you are probably similar in that oh, regard. Very is, that, so. is that safe? <laughs> yeah, there's watches that I like, except I find if I find that the hour hand is just too close to the size of the minute hand, it's out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, because. Well, that's 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 legitimate. That impacts legibility of telling the time quickly. Yeah, and and or vice versa. Maybe the hour hand strikes me as too small. Now there's it, it's there. There's no confusion, but to me, it just looks ungainly. Right, it has I mean, to be in proportion. And, or, and I've I'm in I'm in trouble with watch faces because I've been affected by or I've been bitten by the like getting annoyed by poor placement of date windows bug, yeah. where like, <laughs> there's like this this like design virus destroying the watch industry right now because everyone's putting date windows all over the place because it turns out most people who buy a watch want to have the date on it somewhere um and so you have to kind of like shove it somewhere on the dial and there's lots of easy but bad places to do it like oh we'll just cut the three in half and kind of stick it there or we're going to stick it diagonally between the four and the five and it's oh it just oh it it looks so bad i i'm picky about things like that but the date the date complication in particular you open my eyes to the fact that there's a lot of watches coming out where it's in a bad place and then once you start looking for it you see it and i think one of the reasons why is the uh, the so many watches don't make their own movements and so they're using like an eta movement or a, uh, the japanese company now that now that eta isn't really selling their movements on the open market but if you're limited by the what you can do to the standard movement you're limited in certain ways as to where the date can go. And all of a sudden it just sticks out like, well, they had to, they didn't want to put the date there, but they had to. And you can just see it. Yeah. Bothers me. So many, so many otherwise great watch face designs are ruined by a bad date window. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to talk about this week? What else do you have in the list? I mean, we've definitely lost all the listeners talking about watch design. So no, don't worry. I don't Everyone's think so. gone. I think it ties in with watch OS three. I really I bet- do. I, I bet you have just lost more listeners during the last five minutes than you lose when you talk about baseball. <laughs> uh, I don't want to talk about the podcast thing with the mid-roll. Nah, I, it's too late. Too late. Uh, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. What about this car shifter thing? Do you see that? I, I, I know the story. I, I know the whole recall thing. I have not actually seen the shifter, but I, I saw like all like the anecdotes of, of like the, the complaints people had filed about like, you know, this this exact model of car or you know something with the same shit like this it started rolling backwards when i got out because it i thought it was in park and it, i guess it shifts itself into neutral or something i've like never that. seen a car like this before i don't i guess i don't find myself in new cars all that often but it so the the car so the terrible I'm tragedy to find a picture of it this An- anton yelchin the guy who played Chekhov in the new star trek movies died in a t- terrible freak accident where his his jeep cherokee 
he got out of it. He thought he had it in park, apparently got out of it. And, uh, it was in either in neutral or reverse and ran down the hill and pinned him against the, his own gate. And he, he got killed. The design of this shifter is so bad. It just goes up and down. It's like, a oh, pa- I see. think of it like a paddle shifter. Yeah. So, so like, kind of like if putting you're it like in different modes, just kind of like, you know, up, 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 down, down, that kind of yeah, thing. Right? It's, yeah. It's exactly. It's like thinking of like, it's so it's like you just hit up three times to put it in park. But if you hit up two times, you're in neutral. Or maybe it's like how hard you press it or something. But you're not actually moving it and clicking it into these positions like you do on a traditional one. And so it's so easy. I just cannot believe that this design shipped because I I think you, I would see what a problem this design is even without having the benefit of this tragic news story to, to put it in context. Because it just seems to me like... This is a design where you have to be paying very close attention to the indicator light of what gear you're on. Whereas with the traditional one, you don't even I don't even look. I just hit the brake, push all the way up, and I know I'm in park. I can yeah. absolutely with hundred percent certainty put my car into park every single time blindfolded. Right. I mean this is and this is you know, I, I think um I've seen in a lot of cars recently, especially higher end cars and newer cars, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the makers are kind of playing with the shifter lever and redesigning them in different ways to make them like you know electronically control instead of like a direct uh, kind of linkage. And um, I, I apologize in advance to John Syracuse if I'm getting any of this wrong because he's way more of a car nerd than I am. Uh, but basically, like everyone is kind of like messing with the shifter design and and the and the parking brake designs. And there's so many of them are electronic now, and so they have these weird controls that are you know of poor design the the good ones i've seen it's weird at first to get used to but it's actually better long term which is like like the bmw ones um park is a button on top of the shifter so the shifter moving up and down switches you between like reverse neutral drive but if you want to put it in park it's actually a button on top so you can't like it's it's very clear which one of those things you're doing. Tesla's yeah. in a, Tesla's the same way. Where Tesla, it's it's a column shifter, which this is the first time I've ever had a column shifter. Um, but I got used to it pretty quick because it's like you know down is drive, and then there's a button on the end to hit it for park, and you have to hit that button every time. And like the the physical action of pushing that button in is nothing like any other operation on that lever. So you know you're very right. unlikely to accidentally do it. Right. Whereas on this Jeep design. Putting it in park is just pushing a little bit long. Either I don't, I'm not quite sure if it's how long you press up or how many know. times you press up, but it's only ever so slightly different than putting it into neutral. And I'm I'm laughing, but and it's terrible that this guy died, and that other people have obviously been hurt too because there's a product recall. But it, it it's just mind boggling that you would make putting it in park something that's hard to distinguish. <laughs> like yeah, I mean it's, it's the 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 bad design that goes into car interiors and that actually ships in car interiors boggles my mind like there's so this then this is like way worse than date windows on watches there is so much horrible design in car interiors and and the controls in car interiors these days i don't think anybody's ever been killed by a poor placement of a date window on a watch dial probably not Um, yeah it's 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 horrible because you know like as as we see with this like design flaws in cars like that's that, that can cause actually fatal consequences like that can actually get people killed and often they do actually get people killed like and it's you know they got to take design seriously and when you have something like this it's like who does anybody actually think about this do they do any testing i mean like ah, it's it's just a tragedy yeah i can i do see the uh, the origins of why they would ship this horrible design was just the basic idea of we want to switch to an electronic system instead of a uh 
analog system of where this is. But so, okay, there's the why. But the, this was not the answer. <laughs> this no. is terrible. Uh, anything else? No, I think that's it. I think we've uh, we've definitely uh, put most of the audience to sleep or lost them in the watch discussion. I don't think so. I think so people are going to love the good. watch discussion. All <laughs> yeah. right. I, well, we are under three hours, so that's not exactly bad. as predicted. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors <laughs> in reverse order, Ministry of Supply, uh, Audible, and uh, Wealthfront. Uh, and I want to thank you, Marco Arment. Your podcast, at, uh, Accidental Tech Podcast, is at atp.fm. You've also got, uh, what else you got? You got a, more podcasts now. I got Under the Radar with underscore David Smith, uh, relay.fm slash radar. Top four with my wife, relay.fm slash top four. The wonderful and, uh, uh, Tiff Arment. Yeah, she's the best. Um, I, do you feel bad with uh, the developer one where underscore was like totally up to date and like knew all the APIs by like Tuesday of WWDC week? <laughs> Or do you just feel like, no, this is great, underscore will f- fill me in on what I need to know? Basically the latter. Like <laughs> when, when, you, when you first become friends with underscore, if you're a developer, you just feel incredibly lazy and inadequate by comparison. You're like, my God, like th- what I did during this time was like, you know, have a steak and edit a few photos and go to sleep. And like what he did during this time was like make four new apps and learn everything about all the APIs. And yeah, you definitely feel like, wow, like I, I waste a lot of time compared he, to this guy. He runs at a higher metabolism, clearly. We ran into him on Sunday, the first day we were out for WWDC. And I, we, me and Amy and uh, uh, Paul, uh, friend of the show, Paul Kafasis, walked over to the Bill Graham Center so I could get my credentials and stuff. And we ran into Underscore on the way. We ran into a bunch, it was amazing. We ran into so, so many people on the way. Underscore's there. We're all freezing. It is like. 61 degrees and windy and everybody is just frozen to the bone underscores wearing shorts and a t-shirt and looks <laughs> totally comfortable yeah i mean no he's the frustrating thing about about underscore is that he's just a really great person and there's basically like no downsides like, no. Oh, you, like I mean, you, you hope there's like you like when somebody's like super like together in life it's tempting to kind of think like man like you know at least they're like you know a jerk or something like you, you try to find something that makes you feel less bad about how you have an, you know how you are less productive than them or something and yeah. with him you just can't find that like there cuz he's just you know he is just a really good guy and the he's also thing, very productive and it's very frustrating the other thing that killed me is he was wearing a really big backpack and it, so it looked like it was, you know, it was like, why are you wearing a big backpack? And it turns out that that was, it actually wasn't a really big backpack. It was a really small, uh, this is everything he had for the entire week. <laughs> <laughs> like he yeah. is, he was just getting, at, he hadn't checked into his hotel yet. So like everything he brought for an entire <laughs> week in San Francisco was in the, you know, when I was thinking of it just walking around for the afternoon, it looked like a very big backpack. When it realized that it was everything he had for the week, it's like, I cannot believe how efficient he is. Yeah. And he must have, he's got to know one of those secret techniques for folding t shirts or something. Yeah. I, we all have a lot to learn from him. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Marco. Thanks. <laughs>